Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Preface and Introduction of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Preface Dedicatory To the Youth of the British Isles in collecting together for your use and benefit some of the prudential maxims and moral apothegms of the ancient sages the publishers of this volume have been stimulated by an ardent desire to render this excellent mode of instruction as agreeable as possible and at the same time to impress the precepts contained in the fables more forcibly on your minds they have endeavored to make the embellishments worthy of your notice and examination if the seeds of morality and patriotism be early sown they will spring up and ripen to maturity in a confirmed love of truth integrity and honor and without these for his guide no man can do credit to himself or his country this consideration is of vital importance for our comfort and happiness through life mainly depend upon a strict adherence to the rules of morality and religion the youth who is early tutored in an invincible regard for his own character will soon perceive the duties imposed upon him by society and will have pleasure in fulfilling them as much for his own satisfaction as for the sake of his fellow men but when the latent powers of the mind are neglected or not directed into the paths of rectitude by good precepts and worthy examples vice and folly enter the opening and lead their victim into evils and errors which render his life miserable and sometimes hurry him into an ignominious grave to delineate the characters and passions of men under the semblance of lions tigers wolves and foxes is not so extravagant a fiction as it may at first sight seem for the innocent and inexperienced will find when they engage in the busy scenes of the world that they will have to deal with men of dispositions not unlike those of animals and that their utmost vigilance will be required to guard against their violence and machinations in attempting to form an estimate of the characters of mankind 
many gradations and shades will be found between the two extremes of virtue and vice the philanthropist views with feelings of benevolence the wavering balance and adds those he finds on the confines to the number of the virtuous while the misanthrope with gloomy malignity endeavors to include within the circle of vice those who are standing upon the ill-defined line of division and thus swells the number of the bad both observe with pain that great numbers exist whose whole lives seem to be spent in disfiguring the beautiful order which might otherwise reign in society regardless of the misery which their wickedness scatters around them they see men who suffer their bad passions and gross appetites to be the sole rule of their conduct and whether these show themselves in an inordinate ambition a thirst after false glory or an insatiable avarice their consequences are pernicious and diffuse evil distress and ruin among mankind in proportion to the extent to which their baneful influence reaches the misanthrope in contemplating the scene of mischief and disorder is apt to arraign the wisdom and justice of providence for permitting it to exist but the philanthropist views it with a more extended range of vision and while he laments the evil he attributes the apparent want of human feelings to the actors to an early perversion of intellect or to a stifling of the reasoning power given by the great creator to man for his guide and without which he is the worst animal in the creation a mere two-legged tiger upon the childhood and youth of such men the great truth taught by the inspired and wisest writers of all ages that no life can be pleasing to god which is not useful to man has not been sufficiently impressed or probably the energy with which they pursue their wicked career might have been led into a different course and instead of the scourges they would have been the benefactors of mankind when religion and morality are blended together in the mind they impart their blessings to all who seek the aid of the one and obey the dictates of the other and their joint effects are seen and felt in the perpetual cheerfulness they impart they incite the innocent whistle of the ploughman at his plough of the cobbler in his stall and the song of the milkmaid at her pail it is a sign of their being perverted when they engender melancholy notions for these are the offspring of bigotry fanaticism and ignorance the service of the omnipotent is not of this gloomy cast he has spread out the table of this beautiful world of wonders for the use of his creatures and has placed man at the head of it that he might enjoy its bounties as well as prepare himself for the approaching change to another which inspiration has powerfully impressed on his soul as the unknowable region of his next advance the materialist in his dreary reveries cannot comprehend this neither will he acknowledge that his being placed here is equally as miraculous as that he should be placed in another world or worlds progressively to improve to all eternity but to harbor doubts on this subject is like disputing the wisdom the justice and the mercy of the author of our being who according to the conceptions we form of his goodness as exhibited in the design the grandeur and the immensity of creation where everything is systematic regular and in order would never decree that man should be placed here instinctively to know his maker to take a short peep at the stupendous the amazing whole to view all these and have powers of mind given him only to know and repugnantly to feel that after a life mixed with turmoil grief and disease he is to be annihilated 
in our conception of things and to the limited understanding which has been given us all this would appear to be labor in vain the volume of the creation speaks alike to all and cannot be defaced by man but the ways of providence are beyond his comprehension omnipotence has not been pleased to gratify his pride and vanity nor to consult his understanding in the government of the universe but sufficient has been disclosed unto him to point out the moral duties he owes to society and the religious worship due to his maker without groping after what is utterly beyond his reach or our feeble reason is too weak to comprehend the divine essence and our thoughts on their utmost stretch roll back on darkness we reason but we err for how can we comprehend the immensity of endless space of time and eternity a beginning or an end or what conceptions can we form of the power which made the sun and worlds without number truly this is far too much for a finite being who does not know why he can move one of his own fingers or cease to do so when he pleases but all may know and fulfil their religious obligations by reverencing and adoring their creator and walking humbly before him and their moral duties by being in their several stations good sons brothers husbands wives fathers mothers neighbors and members of society having with humble diffidence in this masquerade of life attempted to point out to youth the exterior of the temple of virtue and to lead them into its steps the editor leaves them there respectfully recommending them to explore the whole interior under the guidance of men more eminent for their mental powers and attainments in learning philosophy and piety of these an illustrious band have placed at every avenue and turning their inestimable works as directions to guide us to usefulness and respectability here and eternal happiness hereafter thomas berick newcastle september eighteen eighteen the introduction from time to time in all ages men inspired or gifted with a superior degree of intellectual power have appeared upon the stage of life in order by enlightening others to fulfill the designs of omnipotence in uniting the world in a state of civilized society patriarchs or heads of families at first directed or governed those who were immediately dependent upon them these in time increased and became clans these again by their quarrels and their wars were induced to elect chieftains or kings over a number of united clans from which were formed the various nations and kingdoms of the earth in this early stage of the world when men were ignorant and uncivilized the chase and war seemed almost wholly to have occupied their time and attention their kings ruled over them with despotic sway and the will of the prince was the only law and thus the barbarism of the subject and the tyranny of the ruler went hand in hand together that overswollen pride which seems the natural accompaniment of despotic power blinds the understandings of its possessors and renders them wholly regardless of the important trust reposed in them the evils arising out of their bad government are felt more or less by the whole people over whom they preside and pride and arrogance prevent the approach of sincerity and truth the sycophant and the slave then only find admission and all other men are kept at a distance while kings and governors were of this character the voice of truth could only reach their ears through allegory and fable which took their rise in the infancy of learning 
and seemed to have been the only safe mode of conveying admonition to tyrants this pleasing method of instilling instruction into the mind has been found by experience to be the shortest and best way of accomplishing that end among all ranks and conditions of men the first fable upon record is that of jotham and the trees in the bible and the next is that of the poor man and his lamb as related by nathan to king david and which carried with it a blaze of truth that flashed conviction on the mind of the royal transgressor lessons of reproof religion and morality were we find continually delivered in this mode by the sages of old to the exalted among mankind it is asserted by authors that apologues and fables had their origin in the eastern world and that the most ancient of them were the productions of vishnu sarma commonly called pilpay whose beautiful collections of apologues were esteemed as sacred books in india and persia whence they were spread abroad among other nations and were by them celebrated and holden in much estimation they were translated from the persian and arabian into greek by simeon seth a man of great learning who was an officer of the imperial household at constantinople about the year ten seventy seth's version was imitated in latin by piers alphonse a converted jew as early as the year eleven o seven and this is supposed to have been the first version of pilpe's apologues that made its way to become familiarized in europe the time in which pilpe lived seems not to be certainly known to the learned but some of them suppose that the fables of aesop and others were grounded upon his models the time in which aesop lived is better ascertained and of all the fabulous who have amused and instructed mankind by their writings his name stands pre-eminent authors fix his birthplace at Cothium in phrygia major but the history of this remarkable person who lived about five hundred seventy two years before christ and about one hundred years before herodotus the greek historian has been so involved in mystery traditionary stories and absurd conjectures that any attempt to give a detail from such materials would only serve to bewilder youth and lead them into a labyrinth of error and it would be impertinent to trouble the learned reader with that which must be sufficiently familiar to him footnote the curious inquirer is referred to the essay on the aesopian fable by sir brooke boothby baronet from which this sketch is extracted End footnote. the whole of the absurd fictions concerning this wise and amiable man were invented by maximus planudes a greek monk footnote planudes lived at constantinople in the fourteenth century his fables were printed at milan a d fourteen eighty in footnote plutarch and other authentic historians footnote the first person who took great pains to detect and expose the follies and absurdities of planudes life of aesop and collected what could be known was bachet de Mazeriac, a man of great learning who flourished about the year sixteen thirty two in footnote have however given a very different account of the illustrious fabulist it would appear according to some of these relations that aesop originally a shepherd's boy had risen from the condition of a slave to great eminence and that he lived in the service of xanthus and jedman or idman in the island of samos and afterwards at athens phaedrus speaks of him as living the greater part of his life at the latter place where it appears a handsome statue executed by the hand of the famous statuary lysippus was erected to his memory and placed before those of seven sages of greece footnote 
these sages were salone thales chilo cleobulus bias pitacus and periander to whom laterius adds anarchus mauro pharisides epimenides and pisistratus in footnote he also notices his living at samos and interesting himself in a public capacity in the administration of the affairs of that place where aristotle also introduces him as a public speaker and records the fact of his reciting the fable of the fox and the hedgehog footnote ye men of samos let me entreat you to do as the fox did for this man having got money enough can have no further occasion to rob you but if you put him to death some needy person will fill his place whose wants must be supplied out of your property in footnote while pleading on behalf of a minister upon the occasion of his being impeached for embezzling the public treasure aesop is also mentioned as speaking in a public capacity to the athenians at the time when pisistratus seized upon their liberties footnote the fable of the frogs desiring a king in footnote upon each of these occasions he is represented as having introduced a fable into his discourse in a witty and pleasing manner he was holden to the highest veneration and esteem in his day by all men eminent for their wisdom and virtue it appears that there was scarcely an author among the ancient greeks who mixed anything of morality in his writings that did not either quote or mention aesop plato describes socrates as turning some of aesop's fables into verse during those awful hours which he spent in prison immediately before his death aristophanes not only takes hints from aesop but mentions him much to his honour as one whose works were or ought to be read before any other aeneas and horace have embellished their poetry from his stores and ancient sages and authors all concur in bearing the most ample testimony to his distinguished merits plutarch in his imaginary banquet of the seven wise men among several other illustrious persons of ancient times celebrated for their wit and knowledge introduces aesop and describes him as being very courtly and polite in his behaviour upon the authority of plutarch also we fix the life of aesop in the time of croesus the king of lydia who invited him to the court of sardis by this prince he was holden in such esteem as to be sent as his envoy to periander king of corinth which was about three hundred and twenty years after the time in which homer lived and five hundred fifty before christ if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Who is also deputed by Croesus to consult the Oracle of Delphi. Well, on this embassy, he was ordered to distribute to each of his citizens four minae of silver. But some disputes arising between them and Aesop, he reproached them for their indolence in suffering their lands to lie uncultivated, and in depending on the gratuities of strangers for a precarious subsistence. The quarrel, which it would appear, ran high between them, ended in Aesop sending back the money to Sardis. This so exasperated the Delphians that they resolved upon his destruction and that they might have some color of justice for what they intended, they concealed among his effects, when he was taking his departure from Delphi, a gold cup consecrated to Apollo, and afterwards, pursuing him, easily found what they themselves had hidden. On the pretext that he had committed this sacrilegious theft, they carried him back to the city, and notwithstanding his imprecating upon them the vengeance of heaven, they immediately condemned him to be cast from the rock Hypania, as the punishment for the pretended crime. Ancient historians say that for this wickedness the Delphians were for a long time visited with pestilence and famine, until an expiation was made, and then the plague ceased. It was not until many ages after the death of Aesop that his most prominent successor Phaedrus arose. He translated Aesop's fables from the Greek into Latin, and added to them many of his own. Of Phaedrus little is known, except from his works. He is said to have lived in the times of the emperors Augustus and Tiberius, and to have died in the reign of the latter. The first printed edition of Fables, with cuts, was published in Gauda in 1482. Caxton published some of them in 1484, and Bonus Accursius in 1489, to which he prefixed Planudi's Life of Aesop. But the most perfect edition of Phaedrus's works was published in five volumes by Peter Pithu at Troyes in 1596, from manuscripts discovered by him in the cities of Reims and Dijon. To these have succeeded in later times a numerous list of fabulous. Footnote. Sir Roger Lestrange, born 1616, died 1704. John de La Fontaine, born 1621, died 1695. John Dryden, born 1631, died 1701. Antoine Hodart de la Motte, born 1672, died 1731. John Gay, born 1688, died 1732. Samuel Croxall, D.D., Archdeacon of Hereford, died 1752. Edward Moore, died 1757. Draper. Robert Dodsley, born 1703, died 1764. William Wilkie, born 1721, died 1772. Abbe Brotier, born 1722, died 1789, in footnote. Besides such of the poets as have occasionally interspersed fables in their works, these in their day have had, and many other of them still have, their several admirers. But Gay and Dodsley best maintain their ground in this country, as is proved by the regular demand for the new editions. Croxwell's fables, which were first published in 1722 with cuts on metal, in the manner of wood, have also had a most extensive sale, and Sir Brooke Boothby's elegant little volumes in verse, published in 1809, are now making their way into the public notice. The editor of the present volume 
in attempting to continue the same pleasing mode of conveying instruction long since laid down as a guide to virtue as quoted and compiled from other fabulous whatever seemed best suited to his purpose his sole object is utility and he is not altogether without hope that in attempting to embellish and perpetuate a fabric which has its foundations laid in religion and morality his efforts may not be wholly ineffectual to induce the young to keep steadily in view those great truths which form the sure landmark to heaven where only they can attain peace and happiness end of introduction section two of fables of aesop and others this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Henry. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Two Crabs. Two crabs, the mother and daughter, having been left by the receding tide, were creeping again towards the water. When the former, observing the awkward gait of her daughter, got into a great passion and desired her to move straight forward in a more becoming and sprightly manner, and not crawl sidling along in a way so contrary to all the rest of the world. Indeed, mother, says the young crab, I walk as properly as I can, and to the best of my knowledge, but if you would have me to go otherwise, I beg you would be so good as to practice it first and show me by your own example how you would have me conduct myself. Application Ill examples corrupt even the best natural disposition, and it is in vain to instruct our children, their talents being only imitation to walk by one rule if we ourselves go by another. The good precepts which we may lay down to them will be bestowed in vain if they see by our own conduct that we pursue a contrary course to that which we recommend to them. Parents, therefore, who are desirous of working an effectual reformation in their children should begin by making a visible amendment in themselves and this is a duty they owe to society as well as to their offspring, it being of the utmost importance to both that probity and honor be early instilled into their youthful minds, as these grow with their growth, and while at the same time they command respect, they lay the foundation of their individual happiness through life. End of section 2 Section 3 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Elson. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Ape and Her Young Ones. An ape having two young ones was dotingly fond of one, but disregarded and slighted the other. One day she chanced to be surprised by the hunters, and had much ado to get off. However, she did not forget her favourite young one, 
which she took up in her arms, that it might be the more secure. The other, which she neglected, by natural instinct, leapt upon her back, and so away they scampered together. But it unluckily fell out in the over-anxiety of her precipitate flight, confused and blinded with haste, that she struck her favourite's head against a branch, which threw it on the ground, where the darling bantling was seized by the dogs and killed. The hated one, clinging close to her rough back, escaped all the danger of the pursuit. Application By dear mamma's o'er-weaning fondness spoilt, caressed and pampered, dies the favourite child. The boy she slights, rough, vigorous, and well-grown, unaided, bears the brunt, and shifts alone. The indulgence which parents show to their children arises from the most amiable of human weaknesses, but it is not the less injurious in its effects, and therefore it is of great importance to guard against it, and not to suffer blind fondness to transport us beyond the bounds of a discreet affection, but that often proves the ruin of the child. This fable is also intended to expose the folly of a system of favoritism in families, for experience shows that those children who are the least pampered and indulged usually make the best and cleverest men. End of section 3。Section 4 For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Elson. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Boy and His Mother. A little boy, having stolen a book from one of his schoolfellows, took it to his mother, who, instead of correcting him, praised his sharpness and rewarded him. In process of time, as he grew bigger, he increased also in villainy, till at length he was taken up for committing a great robbery, and was brought to justice and condemned for it. As the officers were conducting him to the gallows, he was attended by a vast crowd, and among the rest his mother came sobbing along, and deploring her son's unhappy fate, which the criminal observing, he begged leave to speak to her. This being granted, he put his mouth to her ear, as if, he was going to whisper something, and bit it off. The officer, shocked at this behaviour, asked him if the crimes he had committed were not sufficient to glut his wickedness, without being also guilty of such an unnatural violence towards his mother. Let no one wonder, said he, that I have done this for her, for she deserves even worse at my hands. For if she had chastised, instead of praising and encouraging me, when I stole my schoolfellow's book, I should not now have been brought to this ignominious and untimely end. Application The approaches to vice are by slow degrees, and the good or evil bias given to youth is seldom eradicated. The first deviations from sound morality should therefore be more strictly watched, and wickedness checked or punished in time. For when vice grows into a habit, it becomes incurable, and both good governments and private families are deeply concerned in its attendant consequences. One need not scruple to affirm that most of the depravity which is so frequent in the world 
and so pernicious to society is owing to the bad education of youth, and to the connivance or ill example of their parents. It is therefore of the utmost consequence that parents, guardians, and tutors should be of characters befitting them for the various and important offices they have to perform. The latter description of persons may and ought to be carefully selected, but it is to be lamented that the base and mean-spirited hosts of bad parents are out of the reach of control, and nothing can prevent the evils arising from their tutorage. Perhaps it would be harsh to make laws to check the marriage of such, but there is no need to encourage the breed of them, for they are already overabundantly numerous. End of section 4 Section 5 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Master and His Scholar. As a schoolmaster was walking upon the bank of a river, he heard a cry as of one in distress advancing a few paces farther he saw one of his scholars in the water hanging by the branch of a willow the boy had it seems been learning to swim with corks and now thinking himself sufficiently experienced had thrown these implements aside and ventured into the water without them but the force of the stream having hurried him out of his depth he had certainly been drowned had not the branch of the tree providentially hung in the way the master took up the corks which lay upon the ground, and throwing them to his scholar made use of this opportunity to read a lecture to him upon the inconsiderate rashness of youth. Let this be an example to you, says he, in the conduct of your future life, never to throw away your corks till time has given you strength and experience enough to swim without them. Application rashness is the peculiar vice of youth and may be styled the characteristic foible of that season of life the foundation of this rashness is laid in a fine conceit of their own abilities which tempts them to undertake affairs too great for their capacities and to venture out of their depths or to suffer themselves to be hurried into the most precipitate and dangerous measures before they find out their own weakness and inability. It therefore behooves inexperienced young men to keep a cautious guard over their passions, to check the irregularities of their disposition, and to listen to the wholesome advice and good counsel of those whose judgments are matured by age and experience. For few are above the need of advice, nor are we ever too old to learn anything for which we may be the better. But young men, above all, should not disdain to open their eyes to good example and their ears to admonition. Neither should they be ashamed to borrow rules for their behavior in the world until they are enabled from their own knowledge of men and things to stem its crooked tides and currents with ease and honor to themselves. Consult your elders. Use their sense alone till age and practice have confirmed your own. End of section 5
Section six of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. Industry and Sloth. An indolent young man, being asked why he lay in bed so long, jocosely answered, Every morning of my life I am hearing causes. I have two fine girls. Their names are Industry and Sloth, close at my bedside as soon as I awake, pressing their different suits. One entreats me to get up, the other persuades me to lie still, and then they alternately give me as various reasons why I should rise, and why I should not. This detains me so long, it being the duty of an impartial judge to hear all that can be said on either side, that before the pleadings are over, it is time to go to dinner. Application He who defers his work from day to day, does on a river's brink expecting stay, till the whole stream which stopped him shall be gone, which as it runs for ever will run on. Indolence is like a stream which flows slowly on, but yet it undermines every virtue. It rusts the mind, and gives a tincture to every action of one's life the term of which does not allow time for long protracted deliberations. And yet how many waste more of their time in idly considering which of two affairs to begin first than would have ended them both? If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Tomorrow is still the fatal time when all is to be done. Tomorrow comes, it goes, and still indolence pleases itself with the shadow, while it loses the substance, and thus men pass through life like a bird through the air, and leave no track behind them, unmindful that the present time alone is ours, and should be managed with judicious care, since we cannot secure a moment to come, nor recall one that is past. It is no matter how many good qualities the mind may be possessed of, they all lie dormant if we want the necessary vigor and resolution to draw them forth, for this slumber of the mind leaves no difference between the greatest genius and the meanest understanding. 
neither the mind nor the body can be active and vigorous without proper exertion and trouble springs from idleness and grievous toil from useless ease therefore whatsoever thy hand findeth to do do it with all thy might for there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest end of section six recording by linden springfield missouri section seven of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Young Man and the Swallow. A prodigal, thoughtless young man, who had wasted his whole patrimony in taverns and gaming-houses among his lewd, idle companions, was taking a melancholy walk near a brook. It was in the spring, while the hills were yet capped with snow, but it happened to be one of those clear, sunny days which sometimes occur at that time of year. And to make appearances the more flattering, a swallow, which had been invited forth by the warmth, flew skimming along upon the surface of the water. The youth, observing this, concluded that the summer was now come, and that he should have little or no occasion for clothes, so went and pawned them, and ventured the money for one stake more among his sharping associates. When this too was gone, like all the rest of his property, he took another solitary walk in the same place as before, but, the weather being severe and frosty, everything had put on a very different aspect. The brook was frozen over, and the poor swallow lay dead upon the bank. At this the youth, smarting under the sense of his own misery, mistakenly reproached the swallow as the cause of all his misfortunes. He cried out, "'Oh, unhappy bird!' thou hast undone both thyself and me who is so credulous as to trust to thy appearance application they who frequent taverns and gaming-houses and keep bad company should not wonder if they are reduced in a very short time to penury and want the wretched young fellows who once addict themselves to such a scandalous course of life scarcely think of or attend to anything besides they seem to have nothing else in their heads but how they may squander what they have got, and where they may get more when that is gone. They do not make the same use of their reason as other people, but, like the jaundiced eye, view everything in a false light, and having turned a deaf ear to all advice, and pursued their unaltered course until all their property is irrecoverably lost, when at length misery forces upon them a sense of their situation, they still lay the blame upon any cause but the right one, their own extravagance and folly, like the prodigal in the fable, who would not have considered a solitary occurrence as a general indication of the season, had not his own wicked desires blinded his understanding. End of section 7. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Section 8 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Collier and the Fuller. 
the collier and the fuller being old acquaintances happened upon a time to meet together and the latter being but ill provided with a habitation was invited by the former to come and live in the same house with him i thank you my dear friend replied the fuller for your kind offer but it cannot be for if i were to dwell with you whatever i should take pains to scour and make clean in the morning the dust of you and your coals would blacken and defile before night application it is of no small importance in life to be cautious what company we keep and with whom we enter into friendship for though we are ever so well disposed ourselves and free from vice yet if those with whom we frequently converse are engaged in a lewd wicked course it will be almost impossible for us to escape being drawn in with them if we are truly wise and would shun those rocks of pleasure upon which so many have split we should forbid ourselves all manner of commerce and correspondence with those who are steering a course which reason tells us is not only not for our advantage but would end in our destruction all the virtue we can boast of will not be sufficient to ensure our safety we embark in bad company for though our philosophy were such as would preserve us from being tainted and infected with their manners yet their characters would twist and entwine themselves along with ours in so intricate a fold that the world would not take the trouble to unravel and separate them reputation is of a blending nature like water that which is derived from the clearest spring if it chance to meet with a foul current runs on undistinguished in one muddy stream it must ever partake of the colour and condition of its associate End of section eight. Section number nine of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Zimmerman, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Husbandman and his sons a husbandman at the point of death being desirous that his son should pursue the same innocent course of agriculture in which he himself had been engaged all his life made use of this expedient he called them to his bedside and said all the patrimony i have to bequeath to you my sons is my farm and my vineyard of which i make you joint heirs but i charge you not to let them go out of your own occupation for if i have any treasure besides it lies buried somewhere in the ground within a foot of the surface this made the sons conclude that he talked of money which he had hidden so after their father's death with unwearied diligence they carefully dug up every inch and though they found not the money they expected the ground by being well stirred and loosened produced so plentiful a crop of all that was sown in it as proved a real and that no inconsiderable treasure application the good name and the good counsel of a father are the best legacies he can leave to his children and they ought to revere the one and keep in mind the other the wealth which a man acquires by his honest industry affords him greater pleasure in the enjoyment than when acquired in any other way and men who by personal labor have obtained a competency know its value better than those who have had it showered upon them without any efforts of their own 
idleness engenders disease, while exercise is the great prop of health, and health is the greatest blessing of life, which consideration alone ought to stimulate men to pursue some useful employment, and among the almost endless number of those to which good laws and well-organized society give birth and encouragement, there are none equal to the culture of the earth, none which yield a more grateful return. The pleasures derived both from agriculture and horticulture are so various, so delightful, and so natural to man, that they are not easily to be described, and are never to be excelled, for in whatever way they are pursued the mind may be constantly entertained with the wonderful economy of the vegetable world, and the nerves are invigorated and kept in proper tone by the freshness of the earth, and the fragrancy of the air, which blush the countenance with a health, and give a relish to every meal. End of section number nine. Section number ten of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Zimmerman, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Proud Frog and the Ox. An ox, grazing in a meadow, chanced to set his foot upon a parcel of young frogs, and trod one of them to death. The rest informed their mother when she came home what had happened, telling her that the beast which did it was the hugest creature that they ever saw in their lives. "'What, was it so big?' says the old frog, swelling and blowing up her speckled belly to a great degree. "'Oh, bigger by a vast deal,' they said. "'And so big?' says she, straining herself yet more. Indeed, say they, if you were to burst yourself, you would never be so big. She strove yet again, and burst herself indeed. Application How many vain people, of moderate, easy circumstances, by entertaining the silly ambition of vying with their superiors in station and fortune, get into the direct road to ruin? In whatever station of life it may have pleased Providence to place us, we ought to determine upon living within our income, and to endeavor by honesty, sobriety, and industry to maintain our ground. Young men, upon their launching out into the world, would do well, deeply, to reflect upon this, for their future peace of mind and happiness greatly depends upon it. They need only look a little about them to see how a contrary conduct has operated upon thousands and it is to be feared, will continue to fill our gals with debtors and bedlam with lunatics. End of section 10 Section 11 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Zimmerman, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Stag Looking into the Water A stag, drinking, saw himself in the water, and, pleased with the sight, stood contemplating his shape. Ah, says he, what a gorgeous pair of branching horns are here! How gracefully do these antlers project over my forehead, and give an agreeable turn to my whole face! But I have such legs as really make me ashamed, they look so very long and unsightly, that I had rather have none at all. In the midst of this soliloquy, he was alarmed with the cry of a pack of hounds. Away he flies in some consternation and bounding nimbly over the plain, 
threw dogs and men at a vast distance behind him after which taking a very thick copse he had the ill fortune to be entangled by his horns in the branches where he was held fast till the hounds came up and seized him in the pangs of death he is said to have uttered these words unhappy creature that i am i am too late convinced that what i prided myself in has been the cause of my undoing and what i so much disliked was the only thing that could have saved me application we often make a false estimate in preferring our ornamental talents to our useful ones and are apt to place our love and admiration on wrong objects when our vanity is stronger than our reason show and ostentation find easy admission into our hearts and we are much fonder of specious trifles than useful plainness but the truest mark of wisdom is to estimate things at their just value and to know whence the most solid advantages may be derived otherwise like the stag in the fable we may happen to admire those accomplishments which are not only of no real use but often prove prejudicial to us while we despise those things on which our safety may depend he that does not know himself will often form a false judgment upon other matters that most materially concern him and thus it fares with many who suffer themselves to be deluded with the false pomp of high life and whose vanity prompts them to conceive that they possess many talents which qualify them to shine in that circle into which they had judged rightly they would never have entered but rather have applied themselves to improve other qualifications which might have ensured their own happiness and have rendered them useful members of society end of section 11section 12 of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by rebecca zimmerman lancaster pennsylvania fables of aesop and others by aesop the leopard and the fox the leopard one day took it into his head to value himself upon the great variety and beauty of his spots and truly he saw no reason why even the lion should take place of him, since he could not show so beautiful a skin. As for the rest of the wild beasts of the forest, he treated them all without distinction in the most haughty and disdainful manner. But the fox, being among them, went up to him with a great deal of spirit and resolution, and told him that he was mistaken in the value he was pleased to set upon himself, since people of judgment were not used to form their opinion of merit from an outward appearance but by considering the good qualities and endowments with which the mind was stored within application wise men are chiefly captivated with the beauty of the mind rather than that of the person and whenever they are infatuated with a passion for anything else it is generally observed that they cease during that time at least to be what they were and indeed are only considered to be playing the fool it too often happens that women of remarkable beauty are so fully satisfied with their outward excellencies that they totally neglect the improvement of their minds not considering that it is only a combination of mental and personal charms that can entitle them to be ranked as nature's greatest ornaments unmindful of this however they are too apt to consider beauty as the only thing resequit of their sex and since they are endowed with it 
in such an eminent degree they look down with disdain on females less happy in personal charms beauty has undoubtedly great influence over the hearts of mankind but when it is overrun with affectation and conceit their admiration will soon be turned into disgust while women of more ordinary persons but blessed with good sense and good humour will captivate the hearts of worthy men and more effectually secure their constancy end of section twelve if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Section 13 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Zimmerman, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Peacock and the Crane The Peacock and the Crane, having by chance met together, the Peacock erected his tail, displaying his gaudy plumes, and looked with contempt upon the Crane, as some mean, ordinary person. The crane, resolving to mortify his insolence, took occasion to say that peacocks were very fine birds indeed, if fine feathers could make them so, but that he thought it a much nobler thing to be able to rise above the clouds into endless space, and survey the wonders of the heavens, as well as the earth beneath, with its seas, lakes, and rivers as far as the eye can reach, than to strut about upon the ground and to be gazed at by children. Application There cannot be a greater sign of a weak mind than a person's valuing himself on a gaudy outside, whether it consist of the beauties of the person or the still more contemptible vanity of fine clothes. This kind of misguided pride, while it endeavors to exalt, commonly tends to lower the persons who are infected with it, but never renders them so truly ridiculous as when it inspires them with the contempt of those who have ten times more worth than themselves. To value ourselves upon glitter and finery of dress is one of the most trifling of all vanities, and a man of sense would be ashamed to bestow upon it the least attention. 
they who examine things by the scale of common sense must find something of weight and substance before they can be persuaded to set a value upon it the mind that is stored with virtuous and rational sentiments and the behavior which is founded upon complacency and humility stamp a value upon the possessor which all men of discernment are ever ready to admire and acknowledge end of section thirteen section number fourteen of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola of Northern Virginia. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Two Pots. An earthen pot and one of brass standing together upon the brink of a river were both carried away by a sudden rise of the water. The earthen pot showed some uneasiness, fearing he should be broken, but his companion of brass bade him be under no apprehension, as he would take care of him oh replies the other keep as far off as you can i entreat you it is you i am most afraid of for whether the stream dash you against me or me against you i am sure to be the sufferer and therefore i beg of you do not let us come near one another application a man of moderate fortune who is contented with what he has and finds he can live happily upon it should be particularly guarded against the ill-judged ambition of associating with the rich and powerful for what in them is economy would in him be the height of extravagance and at the very time they honor him with their countenance they are leading him on to his ruin people of equal conditions may float down the current of life without hurting each other but it's no easy matter to steer one's course in company with the great so as to escape without a bulge neither is it desirable to live in the neighborhood of a very great man for whether we ignorantly trespass upon him or he knowingly encroach upon us we are sure to be the sufferers end of chapter fourteen section number fifteen of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola Janey, Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Mole and Her Dam The young mole snuffed up her nose and told her dam she smelt an odd kind of a smell. By and by, oh, strange, says she, what a noise there is in my ears, as if ten thousand hammers were going. A little after, she was at it again look look what is that i see yonder it is just like the flame of a fiery furnace the dam replied pray child hold your idle tongue and if you would have us allow you any sense at all do not affect to show more than nature has given you application by affectation we aim at being thought to possess some accomplishment which we have not or at showing what we have in a conceited ostentatious manner there is scarcely any species of ridiculous behavior which is not derived from it it grows out of folly and insincerity it derogates from genius it is the bane of beauty and diminishes its charms it is disagreeable to others and hurtful to the person who uses it it detracts from some real possession and makes qualities that would otherwise pass well enough appear nauseous and offensive 
and whoever indulges in it may be sure to lay themselves open and call forth the attention of others to notice their vanity to cure ourselves of affectation we have only to call the aid of truth and sincerity which will cut off the whole train of its follies at one stroke end of chapter fifteen section number sixteen of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola Janey. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Goat, the Kid, and the Wolf. The goat, going abroad to feed, shut up her young kid at home, charging him to bolt the door fast and open it to nobody till she herself should return. The wolf, who lay lurking hard by, heard the charge given, and soon after came and knocked at the door, counterfeiting the voice of the goat and desired to be admitted the kid looking out at the window and finding the cheat bade him go about his business for however he might imitate a ghost's voice yet he appeared too much like a wolf to be trusted application deceit hypocrisy and villainy are constantly on the watch to entrap and ensnare the innocent and the unwary Every beautiful woman is commonly surrounded by a kind of men who would undermine her virtue, and inexperienced men of fortune in the outset of life are almost constantly beset with rogues and sharpers, and these artful villains, under one specious pretext or another, too often affect the ruin of the weak and unsuspicious of both sexes. As a guard against all these, the early admonitions of parents are, are of inestimable worth they are built upon the tenderest regard and the most sincere affection those who have already travelled over the difficult paths of life and buffeted its storms have observed the snares and the dangers with which the way is strewed and they are enabled by their experience to forewarn those who are about to launch out in the troubled oceans of life to steer their course clear of its hidden rocks its shoals and its quicksands did youth but know the importance of this early advice how eagerly would they treasure it in their minds and as occasion required with what pleasure would they draw it forth and obey its dictates to the neglect of these precepts may be attributed much of the ill conduct we see in the world and most of the misfortunes which befall mankind through life honour thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the land which the lord thy god giveth thee end of section number sixteen Section number 17 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola Janey. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Brother and Sister. A certain man had two children, a son and a daughter, the boy, very handsome, and the girl only moderately so they were both young and happened to be one day playing near the looking-glass which stood on their mother's toilet the boy pleased with the novelty of the thing viewed himself for some time and in a wanton roguish manner observed to the girl how handsome he was she resented it and could not bear the insolent manner in which he spoke for she understood it 
as how could she do otherwise to be intended as a direct affront to her therefore she ran immediately to her father and with a deal of aggravation complained of her brother particularly of his having acted so effeminate as part as to look in a glass and meddle with things which belong to women only the father embraced them both with much tenderness and affection and told them that he should like to have them look in a glass every day to the intent that you says he addressing himself to the boy if you think that face of yours handsome may not disgrace and spoil it by an ugly temper and a foul behavior and that you speaking to the girl may make up for the defects of your person if there be any by the sweetness of your manners and the agreeableness of your conversation application we should every day view ourselves considerately in a looking-glass with the intent of converting it to a better purpose than that of merely observing and admiring our persons let those on whom nature has been liberal of her bounties in bestowing a fine countenance with symmetry of person health and strength always remember that these are gifts of providence for which we ought to be thankful but never vain these qualifications ought only to act as a spur to induce us to cultivate the mind by study by reading and reflection so as to cause it to correspond in its beauties with those of our outward appearance let others again who have not anything in their personal appearance to attract the attention of the world strive also to improve the faculties of the mind and to excel in the beauties of a good temper and an agreeable conversation the charms of which notwithstanding a rough exterior cannot fail to endear the possessor to all men of sense who will readily discover intrinsic worth whether it be made up of a lively imagination clear perceptions or the transparent sincerity of an honest heart end of chapter seventeen section number eighteen of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by lola Janey. fables of aesop and others by aesop the sheep biter a certain shepherd had a dog upon whose fidelity he relied very much for whenever he had occasion to be absent himself he committed the care of his flock to the charge of this dog and to encourage him to do his duty cheerfully he fed him constantly with sweet milk and curds and sometimes threw him a bone extraordinary yet notwithstanding this no sooner was his back turned than the treacherous cur fell upon some one of the flock and thus devoured the sheep instead of guarding and defending them the shepherd having at length found out his tricks was resolved to hang him and the dog when the rope was about his neck and he was just going to be tied up began to expostulate with his master asking him why he was so unmercifully bent against him who was his own servant and creature and had only committed a few crimes and why he did not rather take vengeance on the wolf who was an open and declared enemy nay replied the shepherd it is for that very reason that i think you ten times more worthy of death for from him i expected nothing but hostilities and therefore could guard against him 
you are dependent on as a just and faithful servant and fed and encouraged you accordingly and therefore your treachery is more base and your ungratitude the more unpardonable application the common disappointments which we are liable to through life do not bring with them anything to be compared to the bitterness we experience from the perfidy of those we esteem and trusted as friends an open enemy we can guard against and we look upon him when he is at rest as we do at the sword within its scabbard but the man who betrays his trust masked under the appearance of friendship wounds us in the tenderest part and involves us in a cruelly complicated grief which frets the mind and heightens the sum of our infelicity friendship is the cordial of human life the balm of society and he who violates his laws by treachery and deceit converts it into the deadliest poison and renders that which ought to be the defense and support of our steps our greatest snare and danger end of chapter 18 section number 19 of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola Janie. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Old Woman and Her Maids. An old woman who had several maid servants used to call them up to their work at the crowing of the cock. The damsels, not liking to have their sweet slumber disturbed so early, combined together and killed the cock thinking that they might enjoy their warm beds a little longer but in this they found themselves mistaken for the old woman having lost her unerring guide from that time roused them out of their beds whenever she awoke although it might be at midnight application we govern ourselves by imagination rather than by judgment mistaking the reason of things and imputing the issue of them to wrong causes we should endeavor to content ourselves in our present station if it be not very bad indeed for it seldom happens that everything can be in all respects agreeable to our wishes when we give full scope to the impatience of our tempers and quit our present condition in life we often find we have not changed for the better but we are too fond of carving out our fortunes for ourselves and wish to remove this or that obstacle which we imagine stands between us and our felicity then too late we see how greatly we are mistaken in our notions when we feel we have changed for the worse before we attempt any alteration of movement we should if possible ascertain what state it will produce and not suffer infirmity of temper to embitter our lives but above all, we should never aim at mending our fortunes by fraud and violence. End of chapter 19 Section 20 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola Janie Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop Hercules and the Carter 
Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As a clownish fellow was driving his cart along a deep, miry lane, the wheel stuck so fast in the clay that his horses could not draw it out. Upon this, he fell a-bawling and praying to Hercules to come and help him. Hercules, looking down from a cloud, bid him not lie there like an idle, dastardly looby as he was, but get up and whip his horses, and clap his shoulders stoutly to the wheel, adding that this was the only way for him to obtain assistance. Application. The man who sits down at his ease and prays to heaven to have all his wants supplied and his wishes accomplished by a miracle wrought in his favor without using his own exertions and honest endeavors to obtain them deserves to be disappointed. Many men who have a fair share of natural good sense and who also value themselves upon having their reasoning powers enlightened by revelation, yet fall into this error. Led by fanatics and bigots, they follow the fashion of running often to prayers and sermons when they might be much better employed at home. The industrious good man, instead of publicly praying for the comforts of life, pursues his business, which is the proper means of procuring them. And if at the same time he holds converse with his maker, which all men are to do and no man can be happy without doing, he needs no veil of hypocrisy to make the world believe he is better than he really is. He feels it his duty and pleasure so to proceed while he sojourns here and knows not how he can do better than by sober and honest industry to provide for those of his own household and to endeavor for the means of helping him that needeth. The man who is virtuously and honestly engaged is actually serving God all the while and is more likely to have his silent wishes accompanied with strenuous endeavors complied with by the supreme being than he who begs with an unnecessary vehemence and solicits with an empty hand, a hand which would be more religious were it usefully employed and more devout were it stretched out to do good to those that want it end of section 20 
Section 21 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Eagle, the Cat, and the Sow. An eagle had built her nest upon the top branches of an old oak. A wild cat inhabited a hole in the middle, and in the hollow part at the bottom was a sow with a whole litter of pigs. A happy neighborhood, and might long have continued so, had it not been for the wicked insinuations of the designing cat. For first of all, up she crept to the eagle, and, "'Good neighbor,' says she, "'we shall all be undone. That filthy sow yonder does nothing but lie rooting at the foot of the tree, and, as I suspect, intends to grub it up, that she may the more easily come at our young ones. For my part, I will take care of my own concerns, you may do as you please, but I will watch her motions, though I stay at home this month for it. When she had said this, which could not fail of putting the eagle into a great fright, down she went and made a visit to the sow at the bottom, putting on a sorrowful face. I hope, says she, you do not intend to go abroad to-day. Why not, says the sow. Nay, replies the other, you may do as you please, but I overheard the eagle tell her young ones that she would treat them with a pig the first time she saw you go out, and I am not sure, but she may take up with a kitten in the meantime. So good morrow to you. You will excuse me. I must go and take care of the little folks at home. Away she went accordingly, and by contriving to steal out softly at nights for her prey, and to stand watching and peeping all day at her hole as under great concern, she made such an impression upon the eagle and the sow that neither of them dared to venture abroad for fear of the other, the consequence of which was that they in a little time were starved, and their young ones fell prey to the treacherous cat and her kittens. Application this shews us the consequence of giving ear to a gossiping, double-tongued neighbor. Many sociable, well-disposed families have been blown up into a perpetual discord by one of these wicked go-betweens, so that whoever would avoid the imputation of being a bad neighbor should guard both against receiving ill impressions by hearsay and uttering his opinions of others to those busybodies who— to gratify a malignant disposition, or gain some selfish end of their own, can magnify a gnat to the size of a camel, or swell a molehill to a mountain. End of section 21. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Section 22 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop, the Lark and Her Young Ones A lark who had young ones in a field of corn, nearly ripe, was under some fear lest the reaper should come and cut it down before her young brood were fledged and able to remove from the place. Wherefore, when she flew abroad in the morning to seek food for them, she charged them to listen to what the farmer said about shearing. On her return, her young family opened all their little throats at once to inform her that the farmer had sent to his neighbors to reap the corn the next morning, 
is that all said the old lark then there is no danger when she went abroad again the next morning she left the same instructions as before at night she found her young ones more alarmed than at first for the farmer had applied to his friends earnestly requesting them to begin the harvest the next day she received this intelligence as calmly as before and took no other precautions the next day than repeating the same orders in the evening they told her that the farmer had been charging his son to get the sickles ready for it was in vain to wait for other people and that they would cut the corn to-morrow themselves nay then said the old lark we must be off as soon as we can for when a man undertakes to do his business himself it is not so likely that he will be disappointed application he who depends on the assistance of others to perform what he is able to do himself must not be surprised to find that his business is neglected he may be sure that it will be best done when he puts forth his own hands and looks after it with his own eyes how indeed can any man imagine that other people will be active in his interest while he himself remains indolent and unconcerned about his own affairs men of such tempers and dispositions live in a state of suspense and subject themselves to perpetual disappointments and losses which their own industry would have prevented and have kept their minds at ease they do not use their reasoning powers but sink down into a kind of stupid abject dependence upon others which degrades even the finest talents with which human nature is dignified end of section 22 recording by linden springfield missouri Section 23 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Young Men and the Cook. Two young men went into a cook's shop under pretense of buying some meat, and while the cook's back was turned, one of them snatched up a piece of beef and gave it to his companion, who clapped it under his cloak. The cook, turning about and missing his beef, began to charge them with it, upon which he that first took it swore bitterly he had none of it. He that had it swore as heartily that he had not taken it. "'Why, look ye, gentlemen,' says the cook, "'I see your equivocation, and though I cannot tell which of you has taken my meat, I am sure between you there is a thief.' application this fable shows how little reliance can be placed on either the word or the oath of those who like the thieves in the cook's shop have neither honor nor honesty an honest man's word is as good as his oath and so is a rogue's too for he that will cheat and lie will not scruple to forswear himself the former needs no oath to bind him and the latter though he swear in the most solemn manner that can be invented only deceives you the more certainly as he who scruples not to steal will never regard the heinous guilt of calling upon the supreme being to witness his atrocity it is no less wicked to quibble and evade the truth than it is to deny it altogether for the falsehood consists in what we wish the hearer to believe not in the literal import of what we say men who habituate themselves to this species of deceit will be ready to go to the length of any perjury early to impress the mind with the unspeakable worth of truth is of the utmost importance it is sacred 
and no man can say in the face of the world that it ought not to prevail. No discussions can injure its cause. It emanates from heaven. It is an attribute of omnipotence, and is therefore eternal. End of section 23. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Section 24 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Mule. A mule, which was pampered up and easily worked, became plump, sleek, and in high condition, and in the height of his wantonness would scamper about from hill to dale in all the wildness of unbridled restraint. Why should not I, said he to himself, be as good a racer as any horse whatever? My father, whose pedigree was well known, was one of the best of them. Do not I resemble him in every respect? While he was indulging his vanity in reveries of this kind, his master, having occasion to mount him upon urgent business, put him upon his speed, and, ere long, was obliged to use both whip and spur to force him to push forward. Thus jaded and tired, he muttered to himself, Alas, I find now I was mistaken in my pedigree, for my sire was not a horse, but an ass. Application The man who has been brought up in ease and affluence, and pampered and anticipated in all his wants, little imagines what a figure he would make in the world, were his supplies cut off, and he were put to the trial to rub through its thorny mazes and provide for himself. The children of the poor, industrious, honest man, when brought up like their parents, are put to a kind of school, such as the opulent, it is feared, can seldom form any conception of, and if the former, by their industry and abilities, rise above poverty, their enjoyments in life commonly surpass those who have been, without effort, upheld in every real as well as imaginary want. The sensible poor man does not trouble his head about his pedigree, but he knows that his descent must of course be as ancient as that of any man on earth, and that if he is respected in the world, it must arise solely from his own good conduct and merit. The man who has nothing to boast but the merely tracing back his ancestry is building upon a hollow foundation. If indeed his ancestry have arisen to their high station by patriotic and virtuous means, and have deservedly maintained a high character for probity, worth, and honor, let him follow their example. If otherwise, all he can do or say will only prove him to be a mongrel or an ass. 
The pride of family is all a cheat. Tis personal merit only makes us great. End of section 24 Recording by Narrator J Section 25 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop the cock and the jewel a gallant young cock in company with his mistresses raking upon a dunghill for something to entertain them with happened to scratch up a jewel he knew what it was well enough for it sparkled with an exceeding bright lustre but not knowing what to do with it he shrugged up his wings shook his head and putting on a grimace expressed himself to this purpose indeed you are a very fine thing but i know not any business you have here I make no scruple of declaring that my taste lies quite another way, and I had rather have one grain of dear delicious barley than all the jewels under the sun. Application Moralists have interpreted this fable in various ways, some of them ascribing the want of setting a proper value upon the jewel to ignorance, and say, To fools the treasures dug from wisdom's mine are jewels thrown to cocks and pearls to swine. But the most obvious meaning of the fable is surely to show that men who weigh well their own real wants and shape their pursuits to their abilities will always prefer those things which are necessary to such as are merely ornamental or superfluous, and will not easily suffer themselves to be led astray by the gaudy allurements of glitter and show, which have no other value than what vanity, pride, or luxury may have set upon them, but governing their minds by their own reason— judge of everything by its intrinsic worth. End of section 25. Recording by Linden, Springfield, Missouri. Section 26 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Fournier, Marshall, Virginia, USA. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop Mercury and the Woodman A man was felling a tree on the steep bank of a river, and by chance let slip his hatchet, which dropped into the water and sunk to the bottom. Being in distress for want of his tool, he sat down and bemoaned himself on the occasion. Upon this, Mercury appeared to him, and being informed of the cause of his complaint, dived to the bottom of the river, and coming up again, showed the man a golden hatchet, demanding if that were his. He denied that it was, upon which Mercury dived a second time and brought up a silver one. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The man refused it, alleging likewise that it was not his. He dived a third time and fetched up the individual hatchet the man had lost, upon sight of which the poor fellow was overjoyed and took it with all humility and thankfulness. Mercury was so pleased with his honesty that he gave him the other into the bargain, as a reward for his just dealing. Away goes the man to his companions, and giving them an account of what had happened, one of them went presently to the river's side, and let his hatchet fall designedly into the stream. Then, sitting down upon the bank, he fell to weeping and lamenting, as if he had been really and sorely afflicted. Mercury appeared, as before, and, diving, brought him up a golden hatchet, asking if that were the hatchet he had lost. Transported at the precious metal, he answered yes, and went to snatch it greedily. But the god, detesting his abominable impudence, not only refused him that, but would not so much as let him have his own again. Application Honesty is the best policy, and one of our best poets has further stamped a value upon the good old maxim by his assertion that an honest man is the noblest work of God. The paths of truth and integrity are so plain, direct, and easy that the man who pursues them stands in no need of subtle contrivances to deceive the world. He listens to the honest monitor within, and makes good his professions with his practice. Neither gold nor silver hatchets can make him deviate from it, and whatever situation he may be placed in, he is sure to meet the esteem of all men within the circle in which he moves, and has, besides, the constant pleasure of feeling self-approbation within his own breast. End of section 26section 27 of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by jennifer fournier marshall virginia usa fables of aesop and others by aesop the fox and the visor mask a fox being in a shop where visor masks were sold laid his foot upon one of them and considering it a while attentively, at last broke out into this exclamation. "'Bless me!' says he. "'What a handsome, goodly figure this makes! What a pity it is that it should want brains!' Application The accomplished bow in air and mean, how blessed! 
his hat well-fashioned and his hair well-dressed, is yet undressed within, to give him brains, exceeds his hatter's or his barber's pains. This fable is leveled at that numerous part of mankind who, out of their own ample fortunes, take care to accomplish themselves in everything but common sense, and seem not even to bestow a thought upon the important consequences of cultivating their understandings. The smooth address and plausible behavior of the varnished fop may indeed pass current with the ignorant and superficial, but however much he may value himself upon his birth or figure, he never fails exciting the contempt or the pity of men of sagacity and penetration, and the ridicule of those who are disposed to amuse themselves at the folly and vanity of such as put on the mask of wisdom to cover their want of brains. End of section 27《Section 28 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Fournier, Marshall, Virginia, USA. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Thief and the Dog. A thief coming to rob a certain house in the night was thwarted in his attempts by a fierce, vigilant dog, who kept barking at him continually, upon which the thief, thinking to stop his mouth, threw him a piece of bread. But the dog refused it with indignation, telling him that before he had only suspected him to be a bad man, but now, upon his offering to bribe him, his suspicions were fully confirmed, and that as he was entrusted with the guardianship of his master's house, he would never cease barking while such a rogue was lurking about it. Application Nothing can alter the honest purpose of him whose mind is imbued with good principles. He will despise an insidious bribe, and the greater the offer which is designed to buy his silence, the louder and more indignantly will he open out against the miscreant who would thus practice upon him. He knows that the favors held out to him are not marks of the love and regard of him who would confer them, but are meant as the price at which he is to sell his honor and his virtue. With a mind unpolluted, his noble resolution never fails to produce the happiest consequences, by preserving his friends and himself from the mischievous projects laid against them. So true it is that virtue is its own reward, while corruption and veniality are sure in the end to bring the greatest miseries on those and their adherents who are so base, or perhaps inconsiderate, as to subject themselves to future evils of the most fatal nature for the sake of a little present profit. End of section 28. Section 29 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 
Recording by Michael Fascio. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Man and His Goose. A certain man had a goose, which laid him a golden egg every day. But not contented with this, which rather increased than abated his avarice, he was resolved to kill the goose, and cut up her belly, and that by doing so he might come at the inexhaustible treasure which he fancied she had within her. He did so, and to his great sorrow and disappointment found nothing. Application No passion can be a greater torment to those who are led by it, or more frequently mistakes its aim, than insatiable covetousness. It makes men blind to their present happiness, and conjures up ideal prospects of increasing felicity, which often tempt its deluded votaries to their ruin. Men who give themselves up to this propensity know not how to be contented with the constant and continued sufficiency with which providence may have blessed them. Their minds are haunted with the prospect of becoming rich, and their impatient craving tempers are perpetually prompting them to try to obtain their object all at once. They lose all present enjoyment in remotely contemplating the future, and while they are shewing by their conduct how insensible they are to the bounty of providence, they are at the same time laying the foundation of their own unhappiness. End of section 29 Section 30 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Farah Iftikhar Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Wanton Calf a calf, which had been some time fattening in a rich pasture, full of wantonness and arrogance, could not forbear insulting an old ox every time he saw him at the plough. "'What a sorry drudge art thou,' says he, "'to bear that heavy yoke and draw all day a plough at thy tail. "'See, what a fat, sleek, and comely appearance I make, "'and what a life of ease I lead.' I go where I please, and frisk about in the sunshine, or lie down under the cool shade, just as my own fancy prompts me. The ox, not moved by this insolence, made no reply, but pursued his daily round of alternate labour and rest, until he saw the calf taken and delivered to a priest, who immediately led him to the altar and prepared to sacrifice him. When the fatal knife was just at his throat, the ox drew near and whispered him to this purpose. See what your wanton and lazy life has brought you to. A premature and painful death. Application We may learn by this fable the general consequence of an idle life, and how well-rewarded, laborious, diligent men are in the end, when they quietly enjoy the fruits of their industry. They who by little tricks and chickenry, or by open violence and robbery, are enabled to live in a high expensive way, often despise the poor honest man, who is contented with the humble produce of his daily labour. But how often is the poor man comforted, by seeing these wanton villains led in disgrace and misery to the altar of justice, while he has many a cheerful summer's morning to enjoy abroad, and many a long winter's evening to indulge it at home.
by a quiet hearth and under an unenvied roof blessings which often attend a sober industrious man though the idle and the profligate are utter strangers to them luxury and intemperance besides their inevitable tendency to shorten a man's days are very apt to engage their besotted votaries in a debauched life not only prejudicial to their health but which engenders in them a contempt for those whose good sense and true taste of happiness inspire them with an aversion to idleness and effeminacy and put them upon hardening their constitution by innocent exercise and laudable employment how many do gluttony and sloth tumble into an untimely grave while the temperate and the active drink sober draughts of life and spin out the thread of their existence to the most desirable length end of section thirty recording by farah iftikar section thirty one of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by farah iftikar fables of aesop and others by aesop the boasting traveller one who had been abroad was giving an account of his travels and among other places said he had been at rhodes where he had distinguished himself so much in leaping an exercise which that city was famous for that not a rhodian could come near him when those who were present did not seem to credit this relation so readily as he intended they should he took some pains to convince them of it by oaths and protestations upon which one of the company told him he need not give himself so much trouble about it since he would put him in a way to demonstrate the fact which was to suppose the place they were in to be roads and to perform his extraordinary leap over again the boaster not liking this proposal sat down quietly and had no more to say for himself application we had better be contented to keep our exploits to ourselves than to appear ridiculous by attempting to force a belief of that which is improbable and travelled gentlemen should have a care how they import falsehoods and inventions of their own from foreign parts and attempt to vend them at home for staple truths it cannot be too strongly impressed upon the mind that a lie is upon all occasions degrading to the person who utters it and should be most scrupulously avoided not only on account of its baseness but because it is impossible to foresee in how many troubles it may involve him who passes it off it will not always receive credit and is ever liable to detection when it is calculated for wicked purposes it will deservedly incur punishment and when it is of a harmless or insignificant nature it will even then often expose its author to contempt and ridicule and vanity never mistakes its ends more grossly than when it attempts to aggrandize itself at the expense of truth end of section thirty one recording by farah iftikar Section 32 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 
Recording by Michael Fascio. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Shepherd's Boy and the Wolf. A shepherd's boy, while attending his flock, used frequently to divert himself by crying out, The Wolf! The Wolf! The husbandmen in the adjoining grounds, thus alarmed, left their work and ran to his assistance, but finding that he was only sporting with their feelings and bantering them, they resolved at last to take no notice of his alarms. It was not long, however, before the wolf really came, and the boy bawled out, The wolf! The wolf! as he had done before. But the men, having been so often deceived, paid no attention to his cries, and the sheep were devoured without mercy. Application The man who would go through the world with reputation and success must preserve a religious adherence to truth, for no talents or industry can give him weight with others, or induce the sensible part of mankind to place any confidence in him, if he be known to deviate without scruple from veracity. Men of this stamp soon become notorious, and besides the ignominy which attaches to their characters, they have to undergo the mortification of not being believed, even when they do speak the truth. Whatever misfortune may befall them, and however sincere they may be in making known their distress, yet, like the boy in the fable, their complaints, and most earnest asseverations, cannot procure them credit, and are received at best with doubt and suspicion. The same consequences follow falsehood and deception, whether practiced by individuals or public governors, and they will both find in the end that they have been guided by cunning, and not by wisdom. For although the ignorant part of mankind may, to serve the temporary purposes of bad government, be acted upon by false alarms of imaginary dangers, yet even these in time will see through the stale tricks and artifices of those whose designs are to gall and impose upon them. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. End of section 32. Section 33 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. 
For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Crow and the Pitcher. A crow, ready to die with thirst, flew with joy to a pitcher which he beheld at some distance. When he came, he found water in it, indeed, but so near the bottom that with all his stooping and straining he was not able to reach it. He then endeavored to overturn the pitcher, that at least he might be able to get a little of it, but his strength was not sufficient for the accomplishment of this purpose. At last, seeing some pebbles lie near the place, he cast them one by one into the pitcher, and thus, by degrees, raised the water up to the very brim, and satisfied his thirst. Application What we cannot accomplish by strength, we may by ingenuity and industry. A man of sagacity and penetration, upon meeting with a few difficulties, does not drop his pursuits, but if he cannot succeed in one way, sets his mind to work upon another, and does not hesitate about stepping out of the old beaten track which had been thoughtlessly pursued in a roundabout way by thousands before him. The present state of the world, enlightened by arts and sciences, is a proof that difficulties seemingly unsurmountable, and undertakings once imagined to be impossible, have been accomplished, and this ought to be kept in mind as a spur to continued exertion, for we are not acquainted with the strength of our own minds till we exercise them, nor to what length our abilities will carry us till we put them to the trial. Quote, what is discovered only serves to show that nothing's known to what is yet to know. Unquote. The man who enriches the present fund of knowledge with some new and useful improvement does an honor to himself, and ought invariably to be rewarded by the public, for, like a happy adventurer by sea, he discovers, as it were, an unknown land, and imports an additional treasure to his own country. End of section 33「and turned it into a little yard where he kept gamecocks. The cocks led the poor bird a sad life, continually pecking at and driving it away from the meat. This treatment was taken the more unkindly because offered to a stranger, and the partridge could not help concluding that they were the most uncivil, inhospitable people he had ever met with but observing how very frequently they quarrelled and fought with each other he comforted himself with reflecting that it was no wonder they were so cruel to him since they showed the same disposition to each other application no peace is to be expected among those who are naturally fierce quarrelsome and inhospitable and people of a different disposition should avoid as much as possible, having anything to do with them, 
But when we cannot help coming into contact with such characters, there is no remedy but patience, and this virtue a wise man will call to his aid under every misfortune. When our sufferings are inflicted by the wickedness of others, it is some consolation to reflect that people of this character are continually waging war among themselves and punishing each other, and that the consequences of their own wickedness follow them like their shadow, besides rendering them the objects of general aversion. No virtue was more universally practiced or more strongly recommended by the ancients than a mild conduct to our companions and an hospitable entertainment of strangers, and when this is not the general character of any people, it shows in greater or less degrees the wretched state of society in which they live. End of section 34 Section 35 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Fox and the Crow A crow, having taken a piece of meat out of a cottage window, flew up into a tree with it, with a fox observing, came underneath, and began to compliment the crow upon her beauty. I protest, says he, your feathers are of a more delicate white than I ever saw in my life. Ah, what a fine shape and graceful turn of body is there! And I make no question but you have a tolerable voice, if it be but as fine as your complexion. I do not know a bird that can stand in competition with you. The crow, tickled with this very civil language, wriggled about, and hardly knew where she was, and having a mind to convince the fox in the matter of her voice, attempted to sing, and in the same instant let the meat drop out of her mouth. This being what the fox wanted, he chopped it up in a moment, and trotted away, laughing at the easy credulity of the crow. Application Quote, It is a maxim in the schools that flattery is the food of fools. Unquote. They that love flattery will have cause to repent of their foible in the long run, and yet how few there are among the whole race of mankind who are proof against its attacks. The gross way in which it is managed by some silly practitioners is enough to alarm the dullest apprehension. But let the ambuscade be disposed with judgment, and it will scarcely fail of seizing the most guarded heart. How many are tickled to the last degree with the pleasure of flattery, even while they are applauded for their honest detestation of it? There is no way to baffle the force of this engine, but by every one's examining impartially for himself the true estimate of his own qualities. If he deals sincerely in the matter, nobody can tell so well as himself what degree of esteem ought to attend any of his actions, and therefore he should be entirely easy as to the opinion others have of them. If they attribute more to him than is his due, they are either designing or mistaken. If they allow him less, they are envious, or possibly still mistaken, and in either case are to be despised or disregarded. For he that flatters without designing to make advantage of it is a fool, 
and whoever encourages that flattery which he has sense enough to see through is a vain coxcomb. End of section 35section thirty six of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by m bradley peters fables of aesop and others by aesop the sensible ass an old man who was feeding his ass in a fine green meadow being alarmed by the sudden approach of an enemy, began urging the ass to put himself forward and fly with all the speed he was able. The ass asked him whether he thought the enemy would clap two pairs of panniers upon his back. The man said, No, there was no fear of that. Why then, says the ass, I will not stir an inch. For what is it to me who my master is, since I shall but carry my panniers as usual? Application this fable shows us how much in the wrong the poor sort of people most commonly are, when they are under any concern about the revolutions of a government. All the alteration which they can feel is perhaps in the name of their sovereign, or some such important trifle, but they cannot well be poorer, or made to work harder, than they did before. And yet, how are they sometimes imposed upon, and drawn in by the artifices of a few mistaken or designing men, to foment factions and raise rebellions? in cases where they get nothing by success, but if they miscarry, are in danger of suffering, an ignominious and untimely end. End of section 36 Section 37 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. Bradley Peters Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Swallow and Other Birds A swallow, observing a farmer sowing his field with flax, called the birds together and informed them what he was about. She told them that flax was the material of which the thread was made that composed the fowler's nets, so fatal to the feathered race, and strongly advised them to assist her in picking up the seed and destroying it. The birds heard her with indifference, and gave themselves no trouble about the matter. In a little time, the flax sprung up, and appeared above the ground. She then put them in mind once more of their impending danger, and wished them to pluck it up in the bud before it grew any further. But they still slighted her warnings, and the flax grew up into stock. She again urged them to attack it, for it was not yet too late, but they only ridiculed her for a silly pretending prophet. The swallow, finding all her remonstrances availed nothing, was resolved to leave the society of such careless, unthinking creatures before it was too late. So quitting the woods, she repaired to the houses, and, forsaking the conversation of the birds, has ever since taken up her abode among the dwellings of men. Application Wise men read effects in their causes, and profit by them, but their advice is thrown away when given to the arrogant and self-conceited, who are too proud to listen to it. It is equally lost upon fools, who stupidly or obstinately shut their eyes against impending danger, till it is too late to prevent it. In both cases, those who have no foresight of their own, and those who despise the wholesome admonitions of their friends, deserve to suffer from the misfortunes which their own obstinacy, folly, or negligence brings upon their head. A great portion of mankind 
from an overweening conceit of their own abilities, are unwilling to be advised by anyone, and through this stubborn disposition, deprive themselves of the aids of friendship, and the benefits which the goodwill of their more sensible neighbors would have conferred upon them with pleasure. End of section 37 Section 38 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. Bradley Peters Fables of Aesop and Others By Aesop The Thieves and the Cock Two thieves broke into a house with a design to rob it. But when they had pried into every corner, found nothing worth taking away but a cock, which they seized upon and carried off. When they were about to kill him, he begged very hard that they would spare his life, putting them in mind how useful he was to mankind, by crowing and calling them up betimes to their work. You villain, replied they, it is for that very reason we will wring your head off, for you alarm and keep the people waking, so that we cannot rob in quiet for you. Application the same thing which recommends us to the esteem of good people will make those that are bad have nothing but hatred and ill-will towards us. For every man who has engaged himself in a vicious or wicked course of life, fiend-like, makes himself, as it were, the natural adversary of virtue. It is in vain for innocent men, under oppression, to complain to those who are the occasion of it. All they can urge will but make against them, and even their very innocence, though they should say nothing, would render them sufficiently suspected. The moral, therefore, that this fable brings along with it, is to inform us that there is no trusting, nor any hopes of living well, with wicked unjust men. For their disposition is such, that they will do mischief to others as soon as they have the opportunity. When vice flourishes, and is in power, were it possible for a good man to live quietly in its neighborhood, and preserve his integrity, it might be sometimes perhaps convenient for him to do so, rather than quarrel with and provoke it against him. But as it is certain that rogues are irreconcilable enemies to men of worth, if the latter would be secure, they must take methods to free themselves from the power and society of the former. End of section 38 Section 39 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. Bradley Peters Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Wolves and the Sick Ass An ass being sick. The report was spread abroad in the country, and some did not scruple to say that she would die before another night went over her head. Upon this, several wolves went to the stable where she lay, under pretense of making her a visit. But rapping at the door and asking how she did, the young ass came out, and told them that his mother was much better than they desired. Application If the kind inquiries after the sick were all to be interpreted with as much frankness as those in the fable, the porters of the great might commonly answer with the strictest propriety, that their masters were much better than was wished or desired. The charitable visits, which are made to many sick people, proceed from much the same motive with that which induced the hungry wolves to make their inquiries after the sick ass, namely, that they may come in for some share of the remains, and feast themselves upon the reversion of their goods and chattels. The sick man's heir longs for his estate. One friend waits in anxious expectation of a legacy, and another wants his place. 
It, however, does not unfrequently happen that the mask of these selfish visitants and their counterfeit sorrow are seen through, and their impertinent auspiciousness treated with the contempt it so justly deserves. End of section 39. Section 40 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Dog in the Manger. A dog was lying upon a stall full of hay. An ox, being hungry, came near and offered to eat of the hay. But the ill-natured cur, getting up and snarling at him, would not suffer him to touch it. Upon which the ox, in the bitterness of his heart, said, A curse light on thee for a malicious wretch, who will neither eat hay thyself, nor suffer others to do it. Application as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There are men in the world of so snarling, malevolent, and ill-natured a disposition that they will even punish themselves rather than put forth a finger to serve anyone. It gives them a malignant kind of pleasure to have it in their power to cause trouble and vexation to others whenever they have an opportunity of doing so. And could they have their will, they would shut out the light and warmth of the sun and suffer the fruits of the earth to rot upon it provided they could see those about them unhappy. And in thus taking delight in other people's miseries, it of course follows that they are their own tormentors. These characters, in common life, are diabolical and detestable, but the evils they inflict are only like a drop to the ocean when compared to those which men of the same stamp shed abroad in the world, when, in an evil hour, they happen to be exalted to govern the affairs of a nation. Then, indeed, their baleful influence is felt in every direction. They may be turned fiends in human shape, for, as far as they are able, they thwart the benevolent intentions of omnipotence, and the very breath of their nostrils seems to blast the happiness of mankind. 
End of section 40. Section 41 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Farah Iftikhar. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. Jupiter and the Ass. An ass, which had been some time in the service of a gardener, and carried his vegetables to market, became tired of his place, and petitioned Jupiter that he would permit him to enter upon the service of a neighbouring potter. Jupiter granted his request. He here, however, soon found that the latter loaded him with heavier burdens, and kept him on poorer fare than he had been used to before. He again prayed to Jupiter to grant that he might be allowed to better his condition by engaging himself to a tanner. Jupiter again heard his prayer, but here he soon found he had changed for the worse, for, besides being hard-worked, he was also often cruelly treated, and seeing what was going on in this place, he could not forbear upbraiding himself with his folly and inconstancy. Oh, Tofo that I was, said he to himself, for leaving my former mild master to become the servant of one who, after working me to death, will not spare my very hide after I am dead. Application The man that carries about with him the plague of a restless mind can never be pleased. He is ever shifting and changing, and is in truth not so weary of his condition as of himself. Seldom or never contented with his lot, he is ever hunting after happiness where it is not to be found, without ever looking for it where it is. He indulges in the strange propensity of his nature, which leads him to suppose that his own lot is the most miserable, and therefore concludes that any change he can make must be for the better. He loses sight of the virtues of patience, constancy, and resignation, and seems not to know that every station in life has its real or imaginary inconveniences, and that it is better to bear with those which are accustomed to endure, and of which we know the utmost extent, than by aiming at the seeming advantages of another way of life, to subject ourselves to all its hidden miseries. End of section 41 Recording by Farah Iftikhar Section 42 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Gray Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop Aesop and the Impertinent Fellow Aesop, having occasion to go out to seek a light to kindle his fire, went from house to house for some time before he could succeed. But having at last got what he wanted, he posted back in haste with his lighted candle in his hand. An impudent fellow, leaving his companions, caught hold of Aesop by the sleeve, and would fain have shewn off his wit and been arch upon him. Hey day, O rare Aesop, says he, what occasion for a candle, old boy? What, are you going to light the sun to bed? Let me alone, says Aesop, for with it I am looking for an honest man. Application 
it is plain that our philosopher in the fable did not take the impertinent fellow for an honest man and he gave him to understand that it required a good light to find out one who fully came up to that character and he might have added that the world very much abounded with ignorant and impudent ones who with their empty nonsense which they call wit often unseasonably interrupt men of thought and business for to those whose minds are wholly intent upon matters of importance nothing is so offensive as the intrusion of a fool men of eminent parts and great natural abilities make their appearance in the world only now and then these qualifications are the gift of providence and seem to be intended to throw fresh lights on the understanding of mankind but in all the gradations from these downwards it is in the power of every one to improve their manners and integrity is within reach of those of the meanest capacity if they will endeavor to amend their lives and take it for their guide end of section forty two recording by chris gray section forty three of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Elson. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Forester and the Lion. The Forester meeting with the Lion one day, they discoursed together for a while without much differing in opinion. At last, a dispute happened to arise about the point of superiority between a man and a lion, the former wanting a better argument showed the latter a marble monument, on which was placed the statue of a man striding over a vanquished lion. If this, says the lion, is all you have to say for it, let us be the sculptors, and we will make the lion striding over the man. Application Such is the partiality of mankind in favour of themselves and their own actions, that it is extremely difficult, nay, almost impossible, to come at any certainty by reading the accounts that are written on one side only the simple truth is still perverted as prejudice vanity or interest warps the mind and it is not discovered in all its brilliancy till the mists which obscure it are swept away by the most rigid investigation in what an odious light would our party men place each other if the transactions of the times were handed down to posterity by a warm zealot on either side and were such records to survive a few centuries with what perplexities and difficulties would they embarrass the historian as by turns he consulted them for the character of his great forefathers the same difficulties would occur in writing the history of nations both ancient and modern some of those who flourish at this day and consider themselves as having reached perfection in civilization and polished manners will perhaps not unjustly be branded in after-times with cruelty injustice and oppression in having confounded all simplicity of manners and disturbed the peace of whole nations by carrying the horrors of war of murder and desolation into regions formerly blessed with uninterrupted tranquillity end of section forty three recording by tara elson Section 44 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Lawley. The wolf indicated the fox for felony before the ape, who, 
upon that occasion was appointed special judge of the cause the fox gave in his answer to the wolf's accusation and denied the fact after hearing both sides the ape penetrating the character of the parties gave judgment to this purpose i am of opinion that you says he to the wolf never lost the goods you sue for and as for you turning to the fox i make no question but you at least have stolen what is laid to your charge and thus the court was dismissed with this public censor upon each party application well made both judge and jury in the outset of trial be puzzled to decide between and do justice to men whose quarrels are made up of baseness and villainy and carried on with mutual treachery fraud and violence and whose witnesses are perhaps of the same character with themselves each party may justly enough accuse the other though neither of them are worthy of belief and deserve even no credit for the imputations with which they asperse each other's characters but such men need not hope long to deceive the world a penetrating judge and an honest jury will upon sifting the matter clearly see what kind of men they have been occupying their attention with and shew a proper disgust at the wicked impudence of both plaintiff and defendant end of section 44section 45 of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by nemo fables of aesop and others by aesop the bald knight a certain knight growing old his hair fell off and he became bald to hide which imperfection he wore a periwig but as he was riding out with some others a-hunting a sudden gust of wind blew off the periwig and exposed his bald pate the company could not forbear laughing at the accident and he himself laughed as loud as anybody saying how was it to be expected that i could keep strange hair upon my head when my own would not stay there application there is no disposition or turn of mind which on many occasions contributes more to keep us easy than that which enables us to rally any of our failings or joke upon our own infirmities this blunts the edge and baffles and turns aside the malignant sneers of little wits and the ill-nature and ridicule of others if we should at any time happen to incur the laughter of those about us we cannot stifle it sooner or better than by receiving it all with a cheerful look and by an ingenuous and pleasant remark parry the jest which another is ready to throw out at our expense to appear fretted or nettled only serves to gratify the wishes of those who take a secret pleasure in seeing such an effect produced and besides a testy or captious temper 
is a source of perpetual disquietude both to ourselves and our acquaintances and like a little leaven sours the whole mass of our good qualities if we had no other imperfections this of itself would be sufficient to cause our company to be shunned end of section 45section forty six fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by alan lawley fables of aesop and others by aesop the lion and the four bulls four bulls who had entered into a very strict friendship kept always near one another and fed together the lion often saw them and as often had the mind to make one of them his prey but though he could easily have subdued any of them singly yet he was afraid to attack the whole alliance knowing they would have been too powerful for him and therefore was obliged to keep himself at a distance at last perceiving that no attempt was to be made upon them as long as their combination lasted he artfully contrived by the whispers and hints of his emissaries to foment jealousies and raise divisions among them this stratagem succeeded so well that the bulls grew cold and reserved to one another which soon after ripened into a downright hatred and aversion and at last ended in a total separation the lion had now attended his ends and though it had been impossible for him to hurt them while they were united he found no difficulty now they were parted to seize and devour every bull of them one after another application since friendships and alliances are of the greatest importance to our well-being and happiness we cannot be too often cautioned against suffering them to be broken by tale-bearers and whisperers or by any dark plots and contrivances of our enemies for when by such wicked means of these or by our own imprudence we lose a friend we shake the very basis of our interest and remove the pillar that contributed to support it whatever in cases of this kind is applicable to individuals is equally so to kingdoms and states and it is as undisputed a maxim as ever was urged upon the attention of mankind by the best man that ever lived that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand the people are invincible when united faction and feuds will overturn the state which union renders flourishing and great end of section forty six section forty seven of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by noel 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop, the Old Man and His Sons An old man had several sons, who were constantly quarreling with each other. Notwithstanding, he used every means in his power to persuade them to cease their contentions and to live in amity together. At last he had recourse to the following expedient. He ordered his sons to be called before him, and a bundle of sticks to be brought and then commanded them to try if with all their strength any of them could break it. They all tried, but without effect. For the sticks, being closely and compactly bound together, it was impossible for the force of man to break them. After this, the father ordered the bundle to be untied, and gave a single stick to each of his sons, at the same time bidding them try to break it. This they did with ease, and soon snapped every stick asunder. The father then addressed them to this effect. O oh, my sons, behold the power of unity, for if you, in like manner, would but keep yourselves strictly conjoined in the bands of friendship, it would not be in the power of any mortal to hurt you. But when you are divided by quarrels and animosities, you fall a prey to the weakest enemies. Application A kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and the same holds good in all societies and corporations of men, from the constitution of the nation down to every little parochial vestry. Every private family should consider itself a little state, in which the several members ought to be united by one common interest. Quarrels with each other are as fatal to their welfare as factions are dangerous to the peace of the commonwealth. But indeed, the necessity of union and friendship extends itself to all kinds of relations in life, and they conduce mightily to the advantage of those who cherish and cultivate them. No enemy will dare to attack a body of men firmly attached to each other, and will fear to offend one of the number, lest he should incur the resentment of the rest. But if they split into parties and are disunited by quarrels, every petty opponent will venture to attack them and the whole fraternity will be liable to wrongs and violence. End of chapter 47 
Section 48 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Farah Iftikhar. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Lion, the Tiger and the Wolf. A lion and a tiger at the same instant seized on a young fawn, which they immediately killed. This they had no sooner performed than they fell to fighting in order to decide whose property it should be. The battle was so obstinate that they were both compelled by weariness and loss of blood to desist and lie down breathless and quite disabled. A wolf passing that way, perceiving how the case stood, very impudently stepped up and seized the booty which they had all this while been contending for, and carried it off. The two combatants, who beheld this without being able to prevent it, could only make this reflection. "'How foolish,' said they, "'has been our conduct. Instead of being contented, as we ought, with our respective shares,' Our senseless rage has rendered us unable to prevent this rascally wolf from robbing us of the whole. Application. When people go to law about an uncertain title, and have spent the value of their whole estate in the contest, nothing is more common than to find that some unprincipled attorney has secured the object in dispute to himself. The very name of law seems to imply equity and justice, and that is the bait which has drawn in many to their ruin. If we would lay aside passion, prejudice, and folly, and think calmly of the matter, we should find that going to law is not the best way of deciding differences about property, it being, generally speaking, much safer to trust to the arbitration of two or three honest, sensible neighbours, than at a vast expense of money, time, and trouble, to run through the tedious frivolous forms with which, by the artifices of greedy lawyers, a court of judicature is contrived to be attended. Or, if a case should happen to be so intricate that a man of common sense cannot distinguish who has the best title, how easy would it be to have the opinion of the best counsel in the land, and agree to abide by his decision? If it should appear dubious, even after that, how much better would it be to divide the thing in dispute, rather than go to law and hazard the losing, not only of the whole, but costs and damages, into the bargain. End of section 48 Recording by Farah Iftikhar Section 49 of Fables of Aesop and Others this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Fox Without a Tail A fox, being caught in a trap, escaped after much difficulty with the loss of his tail. He was, however, a good deal ashamed of appearing in public without this ornament and at last, to avoid being singular and ridiculous in the eyes of his own species, he formed the project of calling together an assembly of foxes, and of persuading them that the docking of their tails was a fashion that would be very agreeable and becoming. Accordingly, he made a long harangue to them for that purpose, and endeavored chiefly to shew the awkwardness and inconvenience of a fox's tail, adding that they were quite useless, 
and that they would be a very great deal better without them. He asserted that what he had only conjectured and imagined before, he now found by experience to be true, for he never enjoyed himself so much, and found himself so easy as he had done since he cut off his tail. He then looked round with a brisk air to see what proselytes he had gained, when a sly old fox in company answered him with a leer. I believe you may have found a convenience in parting with your tail, and perhaps when we are in the same circumstances, we may do so too. Application Many of the fashions which obtain in the world originate in the whim or caprice of some vain conceited creature, who takes a pride in leading the giddy multitude in a career of folly. Others, again, take their rise from an artful design to cover some vice, or hide some deformity in the person of the inventor. Projectors and planners of a higher stamp are also not uncommon in the world. These men appear to toil only for the public good, and the sacred name of patriotism is their shield. It, however, often happens that when their deep schemes are opened out, they are found to proceed from nothing better than self-interested motives, and a sincere desire to serve themselves. End of section 49《Section 50 of Fables of Aesop and Others》This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Phipps. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Miser and His Treasure. A certain miser, having got together a large sum of money, sought out a sequestered spot where he dug a hole and hid it. His greatest pleasure was to go and look upon his treasure, which one of his servants, observing, and guessing there was something more than ordinary in the place, came at night, found the hoard, and carried it off. The next day, the miser, returning as usual to the scene of his delight, and perceiving the money gone, tore his hair for grief, and uttered the most doleful accents of despair. A neighbour, who knew his temper, overhearing him said cheer up man thou hast lost nothing there is still a hole to peep at and if thou canst but fancy the money there it will do just as well application of all the appetites to which human nature is subject none is so lasting so strong and so unaccountable as avarice other desires generally cool at the approach of old age, but this flourishes under grey hairs and triumphs amidst infirmities. All our other longings have something to be said in excuse for them, but it is above reason, and therefore truly incomprehensible, why a man should be passionately fond of money only for the sake of gazing upon it. His treasure is as useless to him as a heap of oyster-shells for though he knows how many substantial pleasures it might procure yet he dares not touch it and is as destitute to all intents and purposes as the man who is not worth a groat this is the true state of a covetous person to which one of that fraternity perhaps may reply that when we have said all since pleasure is the grand aim of life if there arise a delight to some from the bare possession of riches though they do not use or even intend to use them we may be puzzled how to account for it and think it strange but ought not absolutely to condemn those who thus closely but innocently pursue what they esteem the greatest happiness 
true people would be in the wrong to paint covetousness in such odious colours were it compatible with innocence but here arises the mischief a covetous man will stop at nothing to attain his ends and when once avarice takes the field honesty charity humanity and every virtue which opposes it are sure to be put to the rout End of section 50section fifty one of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by noel fables of aesop and others by aesop the ship dog a young saucy dog having been found not to like any employment at home was taken by a sea-captain on board his ship, where, being well fed, he soon became both stout and fierce, and shoot himself off as such in every foreign port. He no sooner got ashore than he held up his leg against every post and corner and scraped the ground with his feet, quite regardless what dog he might be spatter. And if any of them happened to look sulkily at him, he thought nothing of seizing upon and rolling them in the kennel, if he happened to fall into company he always began to give himself airs to talk big and to express his contempt for the dogs of the place he would boast that he was from a better country and belonged to a better family than any dog among them in short said he i come from cheviot the highest mountain in the world and the very heart of all england where my forefathers thousands of years ago assembled to hunt the wild bull the wolf and the boar he was once going on at this rate when he was interrupted by a sedate experienced bitch who assured him that there were good dogs and bad dogs in every country and that the only difference arose from their education that many of the forefathers he boasted of had long since worried each other and the remainder of them had become so troublesome that part had been transported across the sea to another place and she knew from good authority that both his father and his mother were hanged Application when foreigners speak slightingly of the country they happen to be in and praise their own eschews in them a want of good sense and good breeding it is indeed natural to have an affection for one's native land nor can we help preferring it to every other but to express this in another country to people whose opinion it must needs contradict by the same rule that it is conformable to our own cannot fail of giving them just offence it matters not how highly some particular countries may stand in the estimation of the rest of the world this has little to do with private individuals the advantage of having been born in one of those favoured countries is accidental and no man ought to be esteemed merely on that account in order to merit the respect of virtuous and wise men in every foreign land it must appear to them that by our talents our acquirements and our patriotism we do credit to the country which gave us birth End of chapter 51. Recording by Noel. Section 52 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Noel, Tacoma. Fables of Aesop and Others by Thomas Bewick, The Goat and the Lion. 
the lion seeing a goat upon a steep craggy rock where he could not come at him asked him what delight he could take to skip from one precipice to another all day and venture the breaking of his neck every moment i wonder says he you will not come down and feed on the plain here where there is such plenty of grass and fine sweet herbs why replies the goat i cannot say but your opinion is right but you look so very hungry and designing that to tell the truth i do not care to venture my person where you are application advice though good in itself is to be suspected when it is given by a tricking self-interested man perhaps we should take upon ourselves not only a very great but an unnecessary trouble if we were to suspect every man who offers to advise us but this however is necessary that when we have reason to question any one in point of honour and justice we not only consider well before we suffer ourselves to be persuaded by him but even resolve to have nothing to do in any affair where such treacherous slippery sparks are concerned if we can avoid it without much inconvenience End of section number fifty two section fifty three of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by chad horner from ballyclare in county antrim northern ireland situated in the northeast of the island of ireland fables of aesop and others by aesop the two travellers two men travelling upon the road one of them saw an axe lying upon the ground where somebody had been hewing timber so taking it up says he i have found an axe do not say i says the other but we have found for as we are companions we ought to share the value between us but the first would not consent they had not gone far before the owner of the axe hearing what was become of it pursued them with a warrant which when the fellow that had it perceived alas says he to his companion we are undone nay says the other do not say we but i am undone for as you would not let me share the prize neither will i share the danger with you application we cannot reasonably expect those to bear a part in our ill fortune whom we never permitted to share in our prosperity and whoever is so over-selfish and narrow-minded as to exclude his friend from a portion of the benefits to which an intimate connection entitles him may perhaps engross some petty advantages to himself as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But he must lay his account on being left to do as well as he can for himself in times of difficulty and distress. The very life and soul of friendship subsist upon mutual benevolence and in conferring and receiving obligations on either hand with a free, open and unreserved behaviour without the least tincture of jealousy, suspicion or distrust, guided by a strict observance of the rules of horror and generosity, and as no man includes within himself everything necessary for his security, defence, preservation and support, these rules are the requisites of friendship, to make it firm and lasting and the foundation on which it must be built. End of section 53 Section 54 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Henry. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Fox and the Ass. An ass finding a lion's skin disguised himself in it, and ranged about the forest, putting all the beasts in bodily fear. After he had diverted himself thus for some time, he met a fox, and being desirous to frighten him too, as well as the rest, he leapt at him with some fierceness, and endeavored to imitate the roaring of a lion. "'Your humble servant,' says the fox, "'if you had held your tongue, I might have taken you for a lion, as others did. But now you bray. I know who you are. Application A man is known by his words, as a tree is by the fruit. And if we would be apprised of the nature and qualities of any one, let him but discourse, and he will speak them to us better than another can describe them. We may therefore perceive from this fable how proper it is for those to hold their tongues who would not discover the shallowness of their understandings. Empty vessels make the greatest sound, and the deepest rivers are most silent. The greatest noise is ever found where there is the least depth of water. It is a true observation that those who are the weakest in understanding and most slow of apprehension are generally the most precipitate in uttering their crude conceptions. Grave looks, an aspect of dignity, and a solemn deportment may sometimes deceive even an accurate observer. But wise discourse cannot be successfully counterfeited or assumed, and the sententious blockhead is as easily recognized as the pert coxcomb. It matters not what disguise one of these may assume. He utters himself and undeceives us. He brays and tells the whole company what he is. End of section 54
Section 55 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Cat and the Fox. As the cat and the fox were once talking politics together in the middle of a forest, Reynard said, Let things turn out ever so bad. He did not care, for he had a thousand tricks for them yet, before they should hurt him. But pray, says he, Mrs. Puss, suppose there should be an invasion. What course do you design to take? Nay, says the cat, I have but one shift for it, and if that won't do, I am undone. I am sorry for you, replies Reynard, with all my heart, and would gladly furnish you with one or two of mine. But indeed, neighbor, as times go, it is not good to trust. We must even be every one for himself, as the saying is, and so your humble servant. These words were scarcely out of his mouth, when they were alarmed with a pack of hounds that came upon them in full cry. The cat, by the help of her single shift, ran up a tree and sat securely among the branches, whence she beheld Renard, who had not been able to get out of sight, overtaken with his thousand tricks, and torn into as many pieces by the dogs which had surrounded him. Application One good discreet expedient made use of upon an emergency will do a man more real service and make others think better of him than to have passed all his life for a shrewd crafty fellow full of his stratagems and expedients and valuing himself upon his having a deeper knowledge of the world than his neighbors. Plain good sense, and a downright honest meaning, are a better guide through life, and more trusty security against danger, than the low shifts of cunning and the refinements of artifice. Cunning is of a deep entangling nature, and is a sign of a small genius, though when it happens to be successful, it often makes an ostentatious pretension to wisdom. But simplicity of manners is the ally of integrity, and plain common sense is the main requisite of wisdom. End of section 55。section 56 of Fables of Aesop and Others。This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, Please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Phipps. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Dog Invited to Supper. A gentleman, having invited several friends to supper, his dog thought this a fit opportunity to invite another dog, an intimate of his own, to partake with him of the good cheer in the kitchen. Accordingly, the stranger punctually attended and seeing the mighty preparations going forward, promised himself a most delicious repast. He began to smell about, and, with his eyes intent upon the victuals, to lick his lips and wag his tail. This drew the attention of the cook, who stole slyly up, and seizing him by the hind legs, whirled him out of the window into the street. The dog, stunned and hurt by his hard fall on the pavement, began to howl, the noise of which drew several dogs about him, who, knowing of the invitation, began to inquire how he had fared. Oh, charmingly, 
said he. Only I ate and drank till I scarce knew which way I came out of the house. Application. There is no depending upon a second-hand interest, unless we know ourselves to be well with the principal, and are assured of his favour and protection. We stand upon a slippery foundation. They are strangers to the world who are so weak as to think they can be well with anyone by proxy. They may by this means be cajoled, bubbled, and imposed upon, but are under great uncertainty as to gaining their point, and may probably be treated with scorn and derision in the end. Yet there are not wanting among the several species of fops, silly people of this sort, who pride themselves in an imaginary happiness, from being in the good graces of a great man's friend's friend. Alas, the great men themselves are but too apt to deceive and fail in making good their promises. How then can we expect any good from those who do but promise and vow in their names? To place a confidence in such sparks is indeed so false a reliance that we ought to be ashamed to be detected in it, and, like the dog in the fable, rather own we had been well treated than let the world see how justly we had been punished for our ridiculous credulity. End of section 56section 57 of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by catherine phipps fables of aesop and others by aesop the angler and the little fish an angler caught a small trout and as he was taking it off the hook and going to put it into his basket it opened its little throat, and begged most piteously that he would throw it into the river again. The man demanded what reason it had to expect this indulgence. Why, says the fish, because I am so young and so little, that it is not worth your while taking me now, and certainly I shall be better worth your notice if you take me a twelve-month afterwards, when I shall be grown a great deal larger. That may be, replied the angler, but I am sure of you now and I am not one of those who quit a certainty in expectation of an uncertainty. Application They who neglect the present opportunity of reaping a small advantage, in the hope that they shall obtain a greater afterwards, are far from acting upon a reasonable and well-advised foundation. We ought never thus to deceive ourselves, and suffer the favourable moment to slip away but secure to ourselves every fair advantage however small at the moment that it offers without placing a vain reliance upon the visionary expectation of something better in time to come prudence advises us always to lay hold of time by the forelock and to remember that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush end of section fifty seven Section 58 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Phipps. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. A man bitten by a dog. A man who had been sadly torn by a dog was advised by some old woman as a cure to dip a piece of bread in the wound and give it to the cur that bit him he did so 
and Aesop, happening to pass by just at the time, asked him what he meant by it. The man informed him. Why then, says Aesop, do it as privately as you can, I beseech you, for if the rest of the dogs of the town were to see you, we should all be eaten up alive by them. Application Vice should always be considered as the proper object of punishment, and we should on no account connive at offences of an atrocious nature, much less confer rewards on the criminals, for nothing contributes so much to the increase of roguery as when the undertakings of a knave are attended with success. If it were not for the fear of punishment, a great part of mankind, who now make a shift to keep themselves honest, would be great villains. But if criminals, instead of meeting with punishment, were, by having been such, to attain honour and preferment, our natural inclination to mischief would be increased, and we should be wicked out of emulation. We should rather strive to make virtue as tempting as possible, and throw out every allurement in our power to draw the minds of the wavering and unsettled to espouse her cause. End of section 58「Section fifty nine of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Phipps. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Fox and the Tiger. A skilful archer coming into the woods directed his arrows so successfully that he slew many wild beasts and wounded several others. This put the whole savage kind into a great consternation and made them fly into the most retired thickets for refuge. At last the tiger resumed courage and bidding them not be afraid, said that he alone would engage the enemy, telling them they might depend on his valour to avenge their wrongs. In the midst of these threats, while he was lashing himself with his tail and tearing up the ground with anger, an arrow pierced his ribs and hung by its barbed point in his side. He set up a loud and hideous roar, occasioned by the anguish he felt, and endeavoured to draw out the painful dart with his teeth. When the fox approaching him inquired with an air of surprise who it was that could have strength and courage enough to wound so mighty and valorous a beast. Ah, says the tiger, I was mistaken in my reckoning. It was that invincible man yonder. Application Though strength and courage are very good ingredients toward making us secure and formidable in the world, yet unless there be a proper portion of wisdom or policy to direct them, instead of being serviceable, they often prove detrimental to their proprietors. A rash forward man who depends upon the excellence of his own parts and accomplishments, is likewise apt to expose a weak side, which his enemies might not otherwise have observed, and gives an advantage to others by those very means which he fancied might have secured it to himself. Counsel and conduct always did and always will govern the world, and the strong, in spite of all their force, can never avoid being tools to the crafty some men are as much superior to others in wisdom and policy as man in general is above the brute strength ill-governed opposed to them is like a quarter-staff in the hands of a huge robust but bungling fellow who fights against a master of the science 
the latter though without a weapon would have skill and address enough to disarm his adversary and drub him with his own staff in a word savage fierceness and brutal strength must not pretend to stand in competition with policy and stratagem end of section fifty nine Section 60 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Phipps. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Dog and the Shadow. A dog, crossing a rivulet with a piece of flesh in his mouth, saw his own shadow represented in the clear mirror of the stream and believing it to be another dog who was carrying another piece of flesh he could not forbear catching at it but was so far from getting anything by his greedy design that he dropped the piece he had in his mouth which immediately sunk to the bottom and was irrecoverably lost application base is the man who pines amidst his store and fat with plenty griping covets more excessive greediness in the end mostly misses what it aims at and he that catches at more than belongs to him justly deserves to lose what he has yet nothing is more common and at the same time more pernicious than this selfish principle it prevails from the king to the peasant and all orders and degrees of men are more or less infected with it great monarchs have been drawn in by this greedy humour to grasp at the dominions of their neighbours not that they wanted anything more to feed their luxury but to gratify their insatiable appetite for vain glory and many states have been reduced to the last extremity by attempting such unjust encroachments he that thinks he sees the estate of another in a pack of cards or a box and dice and ventures his own in the pursuit of it should not repine if he finds himself a beggar in the end end of section sixty As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Section 61 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. 
All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Bear and the Beehives A bear, climbing over the fence into a place where bees were kept, began to plunder the hives and rob them of their honey. But the bees, to revenge the injury, attacked him in a whole swarm together, and though they were not able to pierce his rugged hide, yet with their little stings they so annoyed his eyes and nostrils that, unable to endure the smarting pain, with impatience he tore the skin over his ears with his own claws and suffered ample punishment for the injury he had done to the bees in breaking open their waxen cells. Application Many and great are the injuries of which men are guilty towards each other for the sake of gratifying some base appetite, for there are those who would not scruple to bring desolation upon their country and run the hazard of their own necks into the bargain, rather than balk a wicked inclination, either of cruelty, ambition, or avarice. But it were to be wished that all who are hurried on by such blind impulses would consider a moment before they proceed to irrevocable execution injuries and wrongs not only call for revenge and reparation with a voice of equity itself but oftentimes carries their punishment along with them and by an unforeseen train of events are retorted on the head of the actor who not seldom from a deep remorse expiates them upon himself by his own hand end of section sixty one Section 62 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner from Ballyclare in County Antrim, Northern Ireland. Situated in the northeast of the island of Ireland. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Drunken Husband. A certain woman had a drunken husband, whom she had endeavoured to reclaim by several ways without effect. She at last tried this stratagem when he was brought home one night dead drunk she ordered him to be carried to a burial place and there laid in a vault as if he had been dead indeed thus she left him and went away till she thought he might be come to himself and grown sober again when she returned and knocked at the door of the vault the man cried out who's there i am the person says she in a dismal tone of voice that waits upon the dead folks and i am come to bring you some victuals ah good waiter says he let the victuals alone and bring me a little drink i beseech thee the woman hearing this fell to tearing her hair and beating her breast in a woeful manner unhappy wretch that i am says she this was the only way that i could think of to reform the beastly sot but instead of gaining my point i am only convinced that his drunkenness is an incurable habit which he intends to carry with him into the other world application this fable is intended to show us the prevalence of custom and how by using ourselves to any evil practice we may let it grow into such a habit as we shall never be able to divest ourselves of oh that men should put an enemy into their mouths and steal away their brains there is no vice which gains an ascendant over us more insensibly or more incurably than drunkenness it takes root by degrees and comes at length to be past both remedy and shame Habitual drunkenness stupefies the senses, destroys the understanding, fills its votaries with diseases, and makes them incapable of business. It cuts short the thread of life, 
or brings on an early old age besides the mischief it does in the meantime to a man's family and affairs and the scandal it brings upon himself for assault is one of the most despicable and disgusting characters in life after he has destroyed his reasoning faculties and thus shown his ingratitude to the giver of them he flies to palliatives as a remedy for the diseases which his intemperance has caused and goes on in a course of taking weights and cordials and more drink till he falls a martyr to the vice to which through life he has been a slave end of section sixty two Section 63 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Lioness and the Fox. The Lioness and the Fox meeting together fell into discourse and the conversation turning upon the breeding and fruitfulness of some living creatures above others the fox could not forbear taking the opportunity of observing to the lioness that for her part she thought foxes were as happy observed is true you litter often and produce a great many at a time but what are they boxes i indeed may have but one at a time but you should remember that that one is a lion application our productions of whatsoever kind are not to be esteemed so much by their quantity as by their quality it is not being employed much but well and to the purpose which will make us useful to the age we live in and celebrated by those which are to come as the multiplication of foxes and other vermin is a misfortune to the countries which are infested with them so one cannot help throwing out a melancholy reflection when one sees some particular classes of the human kind increase so fast as they do but the most obvious meaning of this fable is the hint it gives us in relation to authors these gentlemen should never attempt to raise themselves a reputation by trumping up a long catalogue of their various productions since there is more glory in having written one tolerable piece than a thousand indifferent ones and whoever has had the good fortune to please in one literary performance should be very cautious how he stakes his reputation in a second attempt End of section sixty three Section 64 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Lamb Brought Up by a Goat. A wolf, prowling about for his prey, espied a lamb sucking a goat you silly creature says he you quite mistake this is not your mother she is yonder among a flock of sheep do allow me to conduct you to her no no replies the lamb the mother that bore me may indeed be yonder but when she dropped me she shewed no further care but left me unprovided for to shift for myself regardless of what might become of me 
and had it not been for the kindness of this honest goat who took compassion upon my helplessness i must have suffered all the miseries to which inexperienced youth and innocence are exposed when left without a guide to the mercy of the world application this fable is levelled at those parents too often met within society who through negligence or ignorance of their duty suffer their offspring to grow up to maturity without instilling into their minds a single good principle of morality or a reverence for religion to guide them through life and to guard them from falling into the snares of every wolf who may seek their destruction others again more abandoned indeed and callous to the tender ties of nature bring forth an offspring whom they neither cherish nor provide for such a description of persons are not fit to become parents and they must not be surprised if their want of parental affection produce a corresponding want of filial attachment and respect for the duties between parents and children are reciprocal it is the goodness of parents which chiefly entitles them to the respect due to that name and it is a paramount duty of children to honour obey and revere such parents as fulfil the obligations which the laws of god and nature impose upon those who bring children into the world End of section sixty four section sixty five of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org fables of aesop and others by aesop the hen and the swallow a hen having found a nest of serpents eggs in a dunghill immediately with a fostering care set upon them with a design to hatch them a swallow observing this flew towards her and with great earnestness forewarned her of her danger what said she are you mad to bring forth a brood of such pernicious creatures be assured the instant they are warmed into life you are the first they will attack and wreak their venomous spite upon but the hen persisted in her folly and the end verified the swallow's prediction application it is too often the hard fortune of many a kind good-natured man in the world to breed up a bird to pick out his own eyes in spite of all cautions to the contrary but they who want foresight should hearken to the counsel of the wise as this might have the effect of preventing their spending much time and good offices on the undeserving perhaps to the utter ruin of themselves it is the duty of all men to act fairly openly and honestly in all their transactions in life to do justice to all but to consider well the character of those on whom they would confer favours for gratitude is one of the rarest as well as the greatest of virtues the fable is intended to shew that we should never have any dealings with bad men even to do them kindnesses men of evil principles are a generation of vipers that ought to be crushed and every rogue should be looked upon by honest men as a venomous serpent the man who is occasionally or by accident one's enemy may be mollified by kindness 
and reclaimed by good usage such a behaviour both reason and morality expect from us but we should ever resolve if not to suppress at least to have no connection with those whose blood is tinctured with hereditary habitual villainy and their nature leavened with evil to such a degree as to be incapable of a reformation End of section sixty five section sixty six of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox fables of aesop and others by aesop the envious man and the covetous as envious man happened to be offering up his prayers to jupiter at the same time and in the same place with the covetous miserable fellow jupiter sent apollo to examine the merits of their petitions and to give them such relief as he should think proper apollo therefore opened his commission and told them that to make short of the matter whatever the one asked the other should have doubled upon this the covetous man who had a thousand things to request forbore to ask first hoping to receive a double quantity for he concluded that all men's wishes sympathized with his own by this circumstance the envious man had the opportunity of giving vent to his malignity and of preferring his petition first which was what he aimed at so without hesitation he prayed to have one of his eyes put out knowing that of consequence his companion would be deprived of both application this fable is levelled at two of the most odious passions which degrade the mind of man in the extremes of their unsocial views envy places its happiness in the misery and the misfortunes of others and pines and sickens at their joy and avarice unblessed amidst its stores is never satisfied unless it can get all to itself although its insatiable cravings are at once unaccountable miserable and absurd end of section sixty six section sixty seven of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Porcupine and the Snakes. A porcupine, wanting a shelter for himself, begged a nest of snakes to give him admittance into their snug cave. They were prevailed upon and let him in accordingly or were so annoyed with his sharp prickly quills that they soon repented of their easy compliance and entreated the porcupine to withdraw and leave them their whole to themselves no said he let them quit the place that don't like it for my part i am well enough satisfied as i am application this fable points out the danger of entering into any degree of friendship alliance or partnership with any person whatever 
before we have thoroughly considered his nature and qualities his circumstances and his humour and also the necessity of examining our own temper and disposition to discover if we can how far these may accord with the genius of those with whom we are about to form a connection otherwise our associations of whatever kind they be may prove the greatest plague of our life young people who are warm in all their passions and suffer them like a veil to hoodwink their reason often throw open their arms at once and admit into the greatest intimacy persons whom they know little of but by false and uncertain lights and thus perhaps take a porcupine into their bosom instead of an inmate who might soothe the cares of life as an amiable consort or a valuable friend end of section sixty seven section sixty eight of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. fables of aesop and others by aesop the sow and the wolf a sow that had just farrowed and lay in her sty with her whole litter of pigs was visited by a wolf who secretly longed to make a meal of one of them but knew not how to come at it so under the pretence of a friendly visit he gave her a call and endeavoured to insinuate himself into her good graces by his apparently kind inquiries after the welfare of herself and her young family can i be of service to you mrs sow said he if i can it shall not on my part be wanting and if you have a mind to go abroad for a little fresh air you may depend upon my taking as much care of your young family as you could do yourself no i thank you mr wolf i thoroughly understand your meaning and the greatest favour you can do to me and my pigs is to keep your distance application when an entire stranger or any one of whom we have no reason to entertain a good opinion obtrudes upon us an offer of his services we ought to look to our own safety and shew a shyness and coldness towards him but there are also many men with whom it is dangerous to have the least connection and with whom any commerce or correspondence will certainly be to our detriment from these we should therefore resolve not to accept even favours but carefully avoid being under any obligation to them for in the end their apparent kindness will shew itself to be a real injury and there is no method of guarding so effectually against such people as that of entirely avoiding their society or shutting our doors against them as we would do against a thief end of section sixty eight section sixty nine of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. fables of aesop and others by aesop 
the frogs and their king in antient times the nation of frogs lived an easy free life among their lakes and ponds but at length grew dissatisfied with such a continuance of undisturbed tranquillity and petitioned jupiter for a king jupiter smiled at their folly and threw them down a log of wood and with a thundering voice said there is a king for you with this and the sudden splash it made in the water they were at first quite panic-struck and for some time durst not put their heads up but by degrees they ventured to take a peep and at length even to leap upon the log not being pleased with so tame and insipid a king they again petitioned jupiter for another who would exert more authority jupiter disgusted at their importunate folly sent them a stork for their king who without ceremony eat them up whenever his craving appetite required a supply application this fable is said to have been spoken by aesop to the athenians who had flourished under their commonwealth and lived under good and wholesome laws of their own enacting until in process of time they suffered their liberty to run into licentiousness and factious designing men fomented divisions and raised animosities among them when thus rendered weak pisistratus took the advantage and seized upon their citadel and liberties both together the athenians finding themselves in a state of slavery though their tyrant happened to be a merciful one could not bear the thoughts of it but aesop in reciting the fable to them prescribes patience where there was no other remedy and adds at last wherefore my dear countrymen be contented with your present condition bad as it is for fear a change should make it worse end of section sixty nine Section seventy of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Old Woman in the Empty Cask an old woman seeing a wine cask which had been emptied of its contents but the very lees of which still perfumed the air with a grateful cordial scent applied her nose to the bunghole and snuffing very heartily for some time at last broke out into this exclamation oh delicious smell how good how charming must you have been once when your very dregs are so agreeable and refreshing application phaedrus was an old man when he wrote his fables and this he applies to himself intimating what we ought to judge of his youth when his old age was capable of such productions it is at once a pleasing and melancholy idea that is given us by the intercourse with elderly persons whose conversation is relishing and agreeable and we cannot help concluding that they must have been very engaging in the prime of life 
when in their decline they are still capable of yielding us so much pleasure nor can we help feeling regret that this fountain of delight is now almost dried up and going to forsake us forever on the contrary when people have neglected to cultivate their minds in youth their whole deportment through life is marked with the effects of this great want and their old age is burdensome to themselves and their conversation insipid to others and like liquor of a thin body and vile quality soon becomes sour vapid or good for nothing end of section seventy section seventy one of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. fables of aesop and others by aesop jupiter and the camel the camel presented a petition to jupiter complaining of the hardships of his case in not having like bulls and other creatures horns or any weapon of defense to protect himself from the attacks of his enemies and praying that relief might be granted him in such manner as should be thought most expedient jupiter could not help smiling at his impertinent address but however rejected the petition and told him that so far from granting his unreasonable request he would take care that henceforward his ears should be shortened as a punishment for his presumptuous importunity application the nature of things is so fixed in every particular that they are very weak superstitious people who think that it can be altered but besides the impossibility of producing a change by foolish importunities they who employ much of their time in that way instead of getting are sure to lose in the end when any man is so silly and vexatious as to make unreasonable complaints and to harbor undue repentings in his heart his peevishness will lessen the real good which he possesses and the sourness of his temper shorten that allowance of comfort which he has already thinks too scanty thus in truth it is not providence but ourselves who punish our own importunity in soliciting for the impossibilities with a sharp corroding care which abridges us of some part of that little pleasure which heaven has cast into our lot happy the man without a wish for more who quietly enjoys his little store and knows to heaven with gratitude to pay thanks for what's given and what's taken away end of section 71 recording by kenan ward kiev ukraine Section 72 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. 
for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Stag and the Fawn. A stag, grown old and mischievous, was, according to custom, stamping with his foot, making threatening motions with his head, and bellowing so terribly that the whole herd quaked for fear of him when one of the little fawns coming up addressed him to this purpose pray what is the reason that you who are so stout and formidable at all other times if you do but hear the cry of hounds are ready to fly out of your skin for fear what you observe is true replied the stag though i know not how to account for it i am indeed vigorous and able enough i think to defend myself against all attacks and often resolve with myself that nothing shall ever dismay my courage for the future but alas i no sooner hear the voice of the hounds but all my spirits fail and i cannot help making off as fast as my legs can carry me application try what we can do what we will yet nature will be nature still the predominance of nature will generally show itself through all the disguises which artful men endeavor to throw over it cowardice particularly gives us but the more suspicion of its existence when it would conceal itself under an affected fierceness as they who would smother an ill smell by a cloud of perfume are imagined to be but the more offensive when we have done all nature will remain what she was and show herself whenever she is called upon therefore whatever we do in contradiction to her laws is so forced and affected that it must needs expose and make us truly ridiculous end of section seventy two Section 73 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Brown, Essex Junction, Vermont. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Fir and the Bramble. A tall fir that stood towering up in the forest was so proud of his dignity and high station that he looked with disdain upon the little shrubs that grew beneath him. A lowly bramble had often been made to feel the insults and gloomy frowns of his lofty neighbor, who on the slightest rufflings of the winds shook his extended arms over the humble shrub and upbraided him with his contemptible situation. As for me, said the fir, I am the first in the forest for beauty and rank. My top shoots up into the clouds, and my branches display a perpetual verdure, whilst you lie groveling upon the ground, and could not live were I to leave off sprinkling you with the drops from my extremities. At this the bramble set up his prickles and replied, that this haughtiness arose from pride and ignorance. For he that made thee a lofty tree could with equal ease have made thee an humble bramble and high as thou art a puff of his breath in the message of a north wind can rob thee of thy verdure or lay thee low 
And further, I pray thee, tell me, when the woodman comes with his axe to fell timber, whether thou wouldst not rather be a bramble than a fir? Application Pride, which was implanted in the human breast for wise purposes, should carefully be directed aright. It was intended only to exalt the minds of all ranks and conditions of men, to that pitch which will make them spurn at and despise the doing of a mean or dishonorable action. And it is only misapplied when it puffs up those whom fortune has placed in high stations, or overloaded with riches, and tempts them to look down with derision on those below them. The higher a man is exalted in life, but especially if he have risen by dishonorable means, the more unlikely it is that he will escape a storm, or the mischiefs to which he may be exposed in his public capacity, in any convulsion that may befall his country. When public justice overtakes him, and he finds the day of reckoning near at hand, the honest monitor within will put him in mind of his true situation, and he will then be enabled to make a just comparison between his own lofty station and that of the poor but honest man. End of section 73section 74 of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org fables of aesop and others by aesop the bees the drones and the wasp a number of drones who had long lived at their ease in a hive of bees without contributing by their labor to make any honey at length began to dispute the right of the bees and insist that both the honey and the combs were their property the bees after much altercation at last offered to leave the dispute to reference and this being assented to by the drones the wasp was chosen umpire accordingly he began by declaring that as both parties he hoped were his friends and he wished them well he would instantly proceed upon the investigation i must own says he that the point is somewhat dubious for i have often seen you both in the same hive and excepting that the drones are of a more portly size and appearance you are all otherwise nearly alike in person but as i have not been able to see who worked and who did not i know of no mode in which i shall be enabled to judge so correctly as by setting each party to work at the making of the honey therefore addressing himself to the bees you take one hive and you speaking to the drones will be so good as to take another and both go to work to make honey as fast as you can the bees readily accepted the proposal but the drones hung back and would not agree to it so so says judge wasp i see clearly how the matter stands and without further ceremony declared in favor of the bees application the surest method of detecting ignorance and inability is to put arrogant pretenders to the test and appreciate their claims by a fair trial when those who assume the merit due to the works of ingenuity refuse to prove their title by a display of their talents we may well conclude that their pretensions are unfounded and that they are mere impostors when men who are at the head of national affairs will not be at the pains to find out merit 
for men of that character are too modest to obtrude themselves they will be surrounded by a swarm of idle impudent good-for-nothing drones and these too often succeed in obtaining those benefits which should be the reward of men of parts integrity and industry End of section seventy four section seventy five of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by doris rigo fables of aesop and others by aesop the frog and the fox a frog leaping out of the lake and taking the advantage of a rising ground made a proclamation to all the beasts of the forest that he was an able physician and for curing all manner of distempers would turn his back to no person living this discourse with the aid of some hard cramp words which nobody understood made the beasts admire his learning and give credit to everything he said at last the fox, who was present, with indignation asked him how he could have the impudence with those thin lanthorn jaws, that meagre pale fizz, and blotched spotted body to pretend to cure the infirmities of others. Application A sickly and infirm look is as disadvantageous in a physician as a rakish one in a clergyman, or a sheepish one in a soldier we should not set up for correctors of the faults of others whilst we labor under the same ourselves good advice ought always to be followed without our being prejudiced upon account of the person from whom it comes but it is seldom that men can be brought to think us worth minding when we prescribe cures for maladies with which we ourselves are afflicted physician heal thyself is too scriptural not to be applied upon such an occasion and if we would avoid being the jest of an audience we must be sound and free from those diseases of which we would endeavour to cure others how shocked must people have been to hear a preacher for a whole hour declaim against drunkenness when his own weaknesses have been such that he could neither bear nor forbear drinking and perhaps was the only person in the congregation who made the doctrine at that time necessary others too have been very zealous in censoring crimes of which none were suspected more than themselves but let such silly hypocrites remember that they whose eyes want couching are the most improper people in the world to set up for the oculists end of section seventy five recording by doris rigo End of Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop Section 76 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Cat and the Mice a certain house being much infested with mice a cat was at length procured who very diligently hunted after them and killed great numbers every night the mice being exceedingly alarmed at this destruction among their family consulted together upon what was best to be done for their preservation 
against so terrible and cruel an enemy. After some debate, they came to the resolution that no one should, in future, descend below the uppermost shelf. The cat, observing their extreme caution, endeavored to draw them down to their old haunts by stratagem, for which purpose she suspended herself by her hinder legs upon a peg in the pantry, and hoped by this trick to lull their suspicions, and to entice them to venture within her reach. She had not long been in this posture, before a cunning old mouse peeped over the edge of the shelf, and squeaked out thus, "'Aha, Mrs. Puss, are you there, then? There may you be, but I would not trust myself with you, though your skin were stuffed with straw.'" Application We cannot be too much upon our guard against fraud and imposition of every kind, and prudence in many cases would rather counsel us to forego some advantages than endeavor to gain them at a risk of which we cannot certainly ascertain the amount. We should more particularly suspect some design in the professions of those who have once injured us, and though they may promise fairly for the future, it is no breach of charity to doubt their sincerity, and decline their proposals, however plausible they may appear. For experience shows that many of the misfortunes which we experience through life are caused by our own too great credulity. End of section 76。section 77 of Fables of Aesop and Others。This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shakelow. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Oak and the Reed. An oak which hung over the bank of a river was blown down by a violent storm of wind, and as it was carried along by the stream, some of its boughs brushed against the reed which grew near the shore. This struck the oak with a thought of admiration, and he could not forbear asking the reed how he came to stand so secure and unhurt in a tempest which had been furious enough to tear up an oak by the roots. Why, says the reed, I secure myself by a conduct the reverse of yours. Instead of being stubborn and stiff, and confiding in my strength, I yield and bend to the blast, and let it go over me, knowing how vain and fruitless it would be to resist. Application Though a tame submission to injuries which it is in our power to redress be generally esteemed a base and dishonorable thing, yet to resist where there is no probability or even hope of getting the better may also be looked upon as the effect of a blind temerity, and perhaps of a weak understanding. The strokes of fortune are oftentimes as irresistible as they are severe, and he who with an impatient spirit fights against her, instead of alleviating, does but double the blows upon himself. A person of a quiet, still temper, whether it be given him by nature or acquired by art, calmly composes himself in the midst of a storm, so as to elude the shock, or receive it with the least detriment. Like a prudent, experienced sailor, who, in swimming to shore from a wrecked vessel, in a swelling sea, does not oppose the fury of the waves, but stoops and gives way, that they may roll over his head without obstruction. The doctrine of absolute submission in all cases is an absurd dogmatical precept, with nothing but ignorance and superstition to support it. But, upon particular occasions, and where it is impossible for us to overcome, to submit patiently is one of the most reasonable maxims of life. O God of infinite wisdom, truth, justice, and mercy, I thank thee.
End of section 77. Recording by Shakewell. Section 78 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop, Fortune and the Boy. A schoolboy, fatigued with play, laid himself down by the brink of a deep well, where he fell fast asleep. Fortune, whose wheel is always in motion, passing by, kindly gave him a tap on the head and woke him. My good boy, said she, arise and depart from this dangerous situation immediately. For if you had tumbled into the well and had been drowned, your friends would not have attributed the accident to your carelessness, but would have laid the whole blame upon me. Application Mankind suffer more evils from their own imprudence than from events which is not in their power to control, but they are ever ready to complain of the perverseness of chance and the capriciousness of fortune, and to impute the blame to her for whatever mischiefs may befall them, when these clearly arise from their own misconduct. Few men pass through life without having had reason at one time or another to thank fortune for her favors, and great is the number of those who have, through their own folly, indolence, or inattention, neglected to profit by her kindness. Prudent people take every care not to put themselves in the power of accidents, but those who carelessly give up all their concerns to the guidance of blind chance must not be surprised if by some of the revolutions of fortune's wheel they feel the punishment due to their negligence and folly. End of section 78section seventy nine of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by matthew royal from sacramento fables of aesop and others by aesop the wolf and the crane a wolf after devouring his prey happened to have a bone stuck in his throat, which gave him so much pain that he went howling up and down, and importuning every creature he met to lend him a kind hand in order to his relief. Nay, he promised, a reasonable reward to any one who should perform the operation with success. At last the crane undertook the business, ventured his long neck into the rapacious felon's throat, plucked out the bone, and asked for the promised reward. The wolf, turning his eyes disdainfully towards him, said, I did not think you had been so unconscionable. I had your head in my mouth, and could have bit it off whenever I pleased, but suffered you to take it away without any damage, and yet you are not contented. Who serves a villain might as wisely free the hardened murderer from the fatal tree. Application there are people in the world to whom it may be wrong to do services upon a double score. First, because they never deserve to have a good office done them, and secondly, because when once engaged, it is so hard a matter to get well rid of their acquaintance. We ought to consider what kind of people they are to whom we are desired to do good offices before we do them. For he that grants a favor or even confides in a person of no honor, instead of finding his account in it, comes off well if he be no sufferer in the end. End of section 79. Recording by Matthew Royal from Sacramento.
Section 80 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Henry. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Heart and the Vine. A heart, being closely pursued by the hunters, concealed himself under the broad leaves of a shady vine. When the hunters were gone by, and had given him over for lost, he, thinking himself very secure, began to crop and eat the leaves of his shelter. By this, the branches being put into a rustling motion, drew the attention of some of the hunters that way, who, seeing the vine stir, and fancying some wild beast had taken covert there, shot their arrows, at a venture, and killed the deer. Before he expired, he uttered his dying words to this purpose. Ah, says he, I suffered justly for my ingratitude, because I could not forbear doing an injury to the vine, which so kindly concealed me in time of danger. Application There is no maxim which deserves more frequent repetition, and if the heart be capable of amendment by precept and admonition, no virtue should be more strongly enforced and recommended than gratitude. Where sentiments of this kind are wanting, our natures soon become debased and our minds depraved. Ingratitude has ever been justly branded as the blackest of crimes and as it were comprehending all other vices within it. Nor can we say that this opinion is too severe. For if a man be capable of injuring his benefactor, what will he scruple doing towards another? We may fairly conclude that he who is guilty of ingratitude will not hesitate at any other crime of an inferior nature. Since there are no human laws to punish this infamous prevailing vice, it would only be doing an act of justice, and supplying the want, to point out criminals of this description to the reprobation of mankind, that men of worth might avoid all intercourse and communication with them. The ingrate should also bear in mind that he strips himself of the protection which might have been afforded by his friends, and exposes himself to the shafts of his enemies, who will not fail to take advantage of the defenseless state to which his folly and depravity have reduced him. End of section 80all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner from Ballyclare in County Antrim, Northern Ireland, situated in the northeast of the island of Ireland. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Hunt of Beaver. A beaver, having strayed far from his dwelling, which is well known, these animals construct with infinite sagacity, was closely pursued by the hunters and knowing that he was thus persecuted for the sake of the castor which is contained in two little bags placed underneath and near the tail he with great resolution and presence of mind bit them off with his teeth and leaving them behind him thus escaped with his life application it is in vain for individuals to contend against an overwhelming power and an ineffectual resistance to violence only tends to double our sufferings when life is pursued and in danger whoever values it should give up everything but his honour to preserve it 
and there can be no disgrace in yielding voluntarily to our persecutors when we are certain that resistance is in vain but this doctrine can seldom be applied to the case of a whole nation for when tyranny and rapine are making their wicked strides over a country as has sometimes happened even in europe the people would seldom fail to rid themselves of their oppressors if they resolved to rise as one man and bravely oppose them end of section eighty one section eighty two of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by doris rigo fables of aesop and others by aesop the ass and the lion hunting the lion having thinned the forest of great numbers of the beasts upon which he preyed and so scared and intimidated the rest that he found it very difficult to get hold of any more of them bethought himself of a new expedient to obtain more readily a fresh supply he invited the ass to assist him in his plan and gave him instructions how to act go said the lion and hide thyself in yonder thicket and then let me hear thee bray in the most frightful manner thou possibly canst the stratagem took effect accordingly the ass brayed most hideously and the timorous beasts not knowing what to think of it began to scour off as fast as they could when the lion who was posted at a proper avenue seized and killed them as he pleased having got his belly full he called out to the ass and bade him leave off telling him he had done enough upon this the long-eared brute came out of his ambush and approaching the lion asked him with an air of conceit how he liked his performance prodigiously says he you did it so well that i protest that i had not known your nature and temper i might have been frightened myself application a bragging cowardly fellow may impose upon people that do not know him but is the greatest jest imaginable to those who do there are many men who appear very terrible and big in their manner of expressing themselves and if you could be persuaded to take their own word for it are perfect lions but if we take the pains to inquire a little into their true nature are as errant asses as ever brayed end of section eighty two recording by doris rigo end of fables of aesop and others by aesop Section 83 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner from Liverpool. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Sow and the Bitch. A sow and a bitch happening to meet. A debate arose between them concerning their fruitfulness. The bitch insisted upon it that she brought forth more at a litter and oftener than any other four-legged creature nay said the sow you do not do so for others are as prolific as you and besides you are always in such a hurry that you bring your puppies into the world blind application it is no wonder that our productions should come into the world blind or lame or otherwise defective 
when by forced or unnatural methods we accelerate their birth and impatiently refuse to let them go there full time then it is that the excellent proverb of the more haste the worse speed is felt and fully verified this fable has been pointed at those authors which itch for scribbling has been an annoyance to the world rather than any real use to it and who have been proud of and boasted of numerous but flimsy productions of their vain and shallow brains it is proper to put such people in mind that it is not he who does most but he who does the best that will meet the approbation of mankind end of section eighty three Section 84 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Satyr and the Traveler. A Satyr as he was ranging the forest in an exceeding cold snowy season met with a traveller half starved with the extremity of the weather he took compassion on him and kindly invited him home to a warm cave he had in the hollow of a rock as soon as they had entered and sat down notwithstanding there was a good fire in the place the chilly traveller could not forbear blowing his fingers upon the satyr asking him why he did so he answered that he did it to warm his hands the honest sylvan having seen little of the world admired a man who is master of so valuable a quality as that of blowing heat and therefore resolved to entertain him in the best manner he could he spread the table of dried fruits of several sorts and produced a remnant of old cordial wine which he mulled with some warm spices over the fire and presented to his shivering guest but this the traveller thought fit to blow upon likewise and when the satyr demanded a reason why he did so he replied to cool his dish the second answer provoked the satyr's indignation as much as the first had kindled his surprise so taking the man by the shoulders he thrust him out of the place saying he would have nothing to do with a wretch who had so vile a quality as to blow hot and cold with the same breath application nothing can be more offensive to a man of a sincere honest heart than he who blows with different breaths from the same mouth who flatters a man to his face and reviles him behind his back such double-dealing false friends ought and will always be considered as unworthy of being treated otherwise than as worthless and disagreeable persons for unless the tenor of a man's life be always true and consistent with itself the less one has to do with him the better it is unfortunately too common with persons of this cast of character in the exalted stations of life to serve a present view or perhaps only the caprice or whim of the moment to blow nothing but what is warm benevolent and cherishing to raise up the expectations of a dependent to the highest degree and when they suspect he may prove troublesome they then 
by a sudden cold forbidding air easily blast all his hopes and expectations but such a temper whether it proceed from a designed or natural levity is detestable and has been the cause of much trouble and mortification to many a brave deserving man end of section eighty four section eighty five of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by larry wilson fables of aesop and others by aesop the fox and the grapes a hungry fox coming into a vineyard where there hung delicious clusters of ripe grapes his mouth watered to be at them but they were nailed up to a trellis so high that with all his springing and leaping he could not reach a single bunch at last growing tired and disappointed let who will take them says he they are but green and sour so i'll e'en let them alone application the effect to despise that which they have long so ineffectually labored to obtain is the only consolation to which weak minds can have recourse both to palliate their inability and to take off the bitterness of disappointment there is a strange propensity in mankind to this temper and there is a numerous class of vain coxcombs in the world who because they would never be thought to be disappointed in any of their pursuits pretend to dislike everything they cannot obtain the discarded statesman considering the corruption of the times would not have any hand in the administration of affairs for the world the needy adventurer the pretended patriot would fain persuade all who will listen to them that they would not go cringing and creeping into a drawing-room for the best place the king has in his disposal worthless young fellows who find that their addresses to virtue and beauty are rejected and poor rogues who laugh to scorn the rich and great are all alike insane like sly reynard the grapes are sour. End of section eighty five. Section eighty six of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Muhammad bin Naim from Lahore. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Mischievous Dog A certain man had a dog, which was so ferocious and surly that he was compelled to fasten a heavy clog to his collar, to keep him from running at and indiscriminately seizing upon every animal that came in his way. This the wainker took for a badge of honourable distinction, and grew so insolent upon it that he looked down with an air of scorn upon the neighbouring dogs and refused to keep them company but a sly old poacher who was one of the gang assured him that he had no reason to value himself upon the favour he wore since it was fixed upon him as a badge of disgrace not of honour application the only true way of estimating the value of tokens of distinction is to reflect on what account they were conferred those which have been acquired from virtuous actions will be recorded as illustrious signs of dignity 
but if they have been bestowed upon the worthless and base as the reward of vice or corruption all the stars and garters and collars of an illustrious order all the tints and glories in which such creatures may strut about in fancied superiority will not mask them from the sight of men of disconcernment who will always consider the means by which their honour have been obtained and truly estimate them as badges of absent and disgrace end of section 86 recording by muhammad bin naim from lahore section 87 of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by muhammad bin naim from lahore fables of aesop and others by aesop the bull and the goat a bull being pursued by a lion fled towards a cave in which he designed to secure himself but was opposed at the entrance by a goat who had got possession before him and threatening a kind of defiance with his horns seemed resolved to dispute the pass the bull who thought he had no time to lose in a contest of this nature immediately made off but told the goat that it was not for fear of him or his defiance for say he if the lion were not so near i would soon teach you the difference between a bull and a goat application o air matched unaided and his foes at hand safely the coward may the brave withstand but think not disturbed thus by glories shine he fears a greater force but scoffs at thine it is very inhuman to deny succour and comfort to people in tribulation but to insult them and add to their misfortunes is something superlatively brutish and cruel there is however in the world a sort of people of this wild temper and illness of mind wait for an opportunity of aggravating their neighbor's affliction and defer the execution of their evil inclinations until they can do it with the severest effect if a person suffer under an expensive lawsuit lest he should escape from that one of these gentlemen will take care to arrest him in a second action hoping at least to keep him at bay while the more powerful adversary attacks him on the other side one cannot consider this temper without observing something remarkably cowardly in it for these shuffling antagonists never begin their encounter till they are very sure the person they aim at is already overmatched end of section 87 recording by muhammad bin naim from lahore Section 88 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.
Recording by Muhammad bin Naim from Lahore. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Fisherman. A certain fisherman, having laid his nets in the river, and placed them across the whole stream from one side to the other, took a long pole, and fell to beating the water to make the fish strike into his nets. One of his neighbors, seeing him do so, wondered what he meant, and going up to him, Friend, say he, what are you doing here? Do you think it is to be suffered that you shall stand splashing and dashing the water, and making it so muddy that it is not fit for use? Who do you think can live at this rate? He was going on in a great fury when the other interrupted him, and replied, I do not much trouble myself how you are to live with my doing this, but I assure you I cannot live without it. Application This fable is leveled at those who love to fish in troubled waters, and whose execrable principles are such that they care not what mischief or what confusion they occasion in the world, provided that they can obtain their ends or even gratify some little selfish appetite. Little villains would set fire to a town, provided they could rake something of value to themselves or of its ashes, or kindle the flames of discord among friends and neighbors, purely to gratify their own malicious temper. And among the great ones, there are those who, to succeed in their ambitious designs, will make no scruple of involving their country in divisions and animosities at home and sometimes in war and bloodshed abroad, provided they do but maintain themselves in power. They care not what havoc and desolation they bring upon the rest of mankind. Their only reason is that it must be so, because they cannot live as they wish without it. But brutish, unsocial sentiments like these are such as a mere state of nature would scarcely suggest, and it is preventing the very end and overturning the first principles of society, when, instead of contributing to the welfare of mankind in return for the benefits we receive from them, we thrive by their misfortunes, or subsist by their ruin. Those, therefore, who have the happiness of mankind at heart, for happiness and morality are inseparable connected, should enter their protest against such wicked selfish notion, and oppose them with all their might, at the same time shunning the society of their possessors as a plague, and consigning their characters to the destination of prosperity. End of section 88 Recording by Muhammad bin Naim From Lahore Section 89 of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop The Fox and the Boar The fox, in traversing the forest, observed a boar rubbing his tusks against a tree. Why how now? said the fox. Why make those martial preparations of wetting the teeth? 
since there is no enemy near that I can perceive. That may be, said the boar, but you ought to know, Master Renard, that we should scour up our arms while we have leisure, for in time of danger we shall have something else to do, and it is a good thing always to be prepared against the worst that can happen. Application All business that is necessary to be done should be done betimes for there is a little trouble in doing it in season as out of season. And he that is always ready can never be taken by surprise. Wise, just and vigilant governments know that they cannot be safe in peace unless they are always prepared for war and are ready to meet the worst that can happen. When they become corrupt or supine and off their guard, they thereby invite and expose their country to the sudden attacks of its enemies. In private life, many evils and calamities befall those who make no provision against unforeseen or untoward accidents, which the prudent man prevents by looking forward to probable contingencies and having a reserve of everything necessary beforehand, that he may not be put into hurry and confusion, nor thrown into dilemmas and difficulties, when the time comes that he may have to encounter them. It cannot be too strongly impressed upon the minds of all men that day by day they are approaching towards old age, and that they should honorably endeavor to provide a store of conveniences against that time when they will be most in want of them and least able to procure them. To reflect properly upon this, we will give them pleasure instead of pain, and they will not die a day sooner for being always ready for that certain event. To do otherwise is acting like weak-minded men who delay making their wills and properly settling their worldly affairs, because to them it looks so like the near approach of death. End of section 89、section、of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop Caesar and the Slave As Tiberius Caesar was upon a journey to Naples, he stopped at a house which he had upon the mountain Mycenaeus. As he was walking in the garden attached to the house, one of his domestic slaves appeared in the walks. Sprinkling the ground with a watering pot in order to lay the dust, and this he did so officiously and ran with so much alertness from one walk to another that wherever the emperor went, he still found his fellow mighty busy with his watering pot. But at last, his design being discovered, which was to attract the notice of Caesar by his extraordinary diligence in the hopes that he would make him free. Part of the ceremony of doing which consisted in giving the slave a gentle stroke on one side of his face. His imperial majesty, being disposed to be merry, called the man to him. When he came up, full of joyful expectations of his liberty, Hark, you friend, say he, I have observed that you have been very busy a great while, but you were officiously meddling where you had nothing to do. While you might have employed your time better elsewhere, And therefore, I must tell you that I cannot afford a box on the ear at so low a price as you bid for it. Application Fedros, 
tells us upon his word that this is a true story, and that he wrote it for the sake of a set of industrious idle gentlemen at Rome, who were harassed and fatigued with the daily succession of care and trouble because they had nothing to do. Always in a hurry but without business, busy but to no purpose, laboring under a voluntary necessity and taking abundance of pains to shew they were good for nothing. But what great town or city is so entirely free of this sect as to render the moral of this fable useless anywhere? For it points at all those officious good-natured people who are eternally running up and down to serve their friends without doing them any good, who by accomplissance, wrong judged or ill-applied, displease whilst they endeavor to oblige, and are never doing less to the purpose than when they are most employed. In a word, this fable is designed for the reformation of all those who endeavor to gain for themselves benefits and applause from a misapplied industry. It is not our being busy and officious that will procure us the esteem of men of sense, but the application of our actions to some noble useful purpose and for the general good of mankind. End of section 90、section、91, A frog one day, peeping out of the lake and looking about him, saw two bulls fighting at some distance off in the meadow. And calling to his associates, Look, says he, what dreadful work is yonder! Dear sirs, what will become of us? Tush, said one of his companions, do not frighten yourself so about nothing. How can their quarrels affect us? They are of a different kind, and are at present only contending. Which shall be the master of the herd? That is true, replies the first. Their quality and station in life are different from ours, but as one of them will certainly prove conqueror, he that is worsted, being beaten out of the meadow, will take refuge here in the marshes and possibly tread some of us to death. So you see, we are more nearly concerned in this dispute of theirs than you were at first aware. Application A wise man. However low his condition in life, looks forward through the proper and natural course and connection of causes and effects, and in so doing, he fortifies his mind against the worst that can befall him. It is of no small importance to the honest and quiet part of mankind, who desire nothing so much as to see peace and virtue flourish, to consider well the consequences that may arise to them out of the quarrels and feuds of the great, and to endeavor, by every means in their power, To avoid being in any way drawn in by their influence, to become a party concerned in their broils and disputes. For no matter in which way the strife between the high contending parties may terminate, those who may have had the misfortune to be concerned with them ought to think themselves well off if they do not smart for it severely in the end. How often has it happened that men in eminent stations, who want to engross all power into their own hands, Begin under the mask of patriotism to foment divisions and form factions, and excite animosities between well-meaning but undiscerning people 
without whose aid in one way or another they could not succeed, but who, at the same time, little think that the great aim of their leaders is nothing more than the advancement of their own private interest or ambitious ends. The good of the public is always pretended upon such occasions, and may sometimes happen to be tacked to their own, but then it is purely accidental, and never was originally intended. End of section 91section ninety two of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by mark henry fables of aesop and others by aesop the old hound an old hound who had excelled in his time and given his master great satisfaction in many a chase at last through age became feeble and unserviceable. However, being in the field one day, when the stag was almost run down, he happened to be the first that came in with him, and seized him by the haunch. But his decayed and broken teeth, not being able to keep their hold, the deer escaped, upon which his master fell into a great passion, and began to whip him severely. The honest old creature is said to have barked out this apology. Ah! Do not thus strike your poor old servant. It is not my heart and inclination, but my strength and speed that fail me. If what I now am displease you, pray do not forget what I have been. Application O oh, let not those whom honest servants bless With cruel hands their age and firm oppress. Forget their service past their former truth, And all the cares and labors of their youth. This fable is intended to reprove the ingratitude too common among mankind, which leaves the faithful servant to want and wretchedness, after he has spent the prime of his life in our service for a bare subsistence. Where slavery is allowed, the laws compel the master to provide for the worn-out slave, and where there is no law to enforce the debt of gratitude, none but those who are insensible to all the finer feelings of humanity will neglect it. Those who forget past services, and treat their faithful servants or friends unkindly or injuriously, when they are no longer of use to them, however high their pride are unworthy of the name of gentlemen. They are, indeed, commonly of an upstart breed, with whom the failure of human nature itself is imputed as a crime, and servants in dependence, instead of being considered their fellow-men, are treated like brutes for not being more than men. The imprudence of this conduct is equal to its wickedness, inasmuch as it directly tends to extinguish the honest desire to please and to act faithfully in the younger servants, when they see that worn-out merit thus goes unrewarded. Humanity and gratitude are the greatest ornaments of the human mind, and when they are extinguished, every generous and noble sentiment perishes along with them. End of section 92 Section 93 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner for Liverpool. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Two Bitches. A bitch who was just ready to whelp, entreated another to lend her her kennel only till her month was up. 
and assured her that when she should have it again the other very readily consented and with a great deal of civility resigned it to her immediately however when the time was elapsed she came and made her a visit and very modestly intimated that now she was up and well she hoped she should see her aboard again for that really it would be inconvenient for her to be without her kennel any longer and therefore she told her she must be so free as to desire her to provide herself with other lodgings as soon as she could the lying in bitch replied that truly she was ashamed of having kept her so long out of her own house but it was not upon her own account for indeed she was well enough to go anywhere so much as that of her puppies who were yet so weak that she was afraid they would not be able to follow her and if she would be so good as to let her stay a fortnight longer she would take it as the greatest obligation in the world the other bitch was so good-natured and compassionate as to comply with this request also but at the expiration of the term came and told her positively that she must turn out for she could not possibly let her be there a day longer must turn out says the other we will see to that for i promise you unless you can beat me and my whole little letter of whelps you are never likely to have anything more to do here application wise and good-natured men do not shut their ears nor harden their hearts against the calls of humanity and the cries of distress but how often are their generous natures imposed upon by the artifices of the base and worthless these fail not to lay their plans with deep cunning to work themselves into the good graces of the benevolent and having accomplished their ends the return they often make as abusive language or the most open acts of violence one of the evil and lamentable consequences arising out of this is that worth in distress suffers by it for distrust and suspicion take hold of the minds of good men and the hand of charity is thus benumbed this fable may also serve to caution us never to let any thing we value go out of our possession without good security the man who means to act prudently ought never to put himself in the power of others or to run any risk of involving his own family in ruin end of section ninety three section ninety four of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by mark henry fables of aesop and others by aesop the hen and the fox a fox having crept into an outhouse looked up and down seeking what he might devour and at last spied a hen perched up so high that he could by no means come at her my dear friend says he how do you do i heard that you were ill and kept within at which i was so concerned that i could not rest till i came to see you pray how is it with you now let me feel your pulse a little indeed you do not look well at all he was running on after this fulsome manner when the hen answered him from the roost truly friend reynard you are judging rightly for i never was in more pain in my life i must beg your pardon for being so free as to tell you that i see no company 
and you must excuse me too for not coming down to you for to say the truth my condition is such that i fear i should catch my death by it application it is generally the design of hypocritical persons to delude and impose upon others with an eye to derive some benefit to themselves when they pretend to feel a flattering anxiety for their welfare or sometimes they may perhaps with impertinent folly mean no more than merely to mock and befool men who are weak enough to become their dupes in both cases they are enemies to truth and sincerity which adorn and tend so greatly to promote the happiness of society and they ought to be exposed as such for although men of penetration see through the pretense and escape its dangers yet the weak the vain and the unsuspicious are put off their guard and have not discernment enough to shun the trap so pleasingly baited the fable also furnishes a hint against hypocritical legacy hunters whose regard is generally of the same nature as that of the fox for the hen end of section ninety four section ninety five of fables of aesop and others this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org fables of aesop and others by aesop the ass in the lion's skin an ass while feeding upon the coarse herbage by the edge of a wood found a lion's skin and putting it on went in this disguise into the adjoining forests and pastures and threw all the flocks and herds into the greatest consternation and dismay at length his master who was in search of him made his appearance and the silly beast entertaining the idea of frightening him also capered forward with a terrific gait towards him but the good man seeing his long ears stick out presently knew him and with a stout cudgel made him sensible that notwithstanding his being dressed in a lion's skin, he was really no more than an ass. Application As all affectation is wrong, and tends to expose and make a man ridiculous, so the more distant he is from the thing which he affects to appear, the stronger will be the ridicule which he excites, and the greater the inconvenience into which he thereby runs himself. How strangely absurd it is for a timorous person to procure a military post in order to keep himself out of danger, and to fancy a red coat the surest protection for cowardice. Yet there have been those who have purchased a commission to avoid being insulted, and have been so silly as to think courage was interwoven with a sash or tied up in a cockade. But it would not be amiss for such gentlemen to consider that it is not in the power of scarlet cloth to alter nature, and that, as it is expected, a soldier should show himself a man of courage and intrepidity upon all proper occasions, they may by this means meet the disgrace they intended to avoid, and appear greater asses than they needed to have done. However, it is not in point of fortitude only that people are liable to expose themselves by assuming a character to which they are not equal. But he who puts on a show of learning, of religion, of a superior capacity in any respect, or in short, of any virtue or knowledge, to which he has no proper claim, is, and will always be found to be, an ass in a lion's skin. End of section 95
Section 96 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Henry. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Clown and the Gnat. As a clownish fellow was sitting musing upon a bank, a gnat alighted upon his leg and bit it. He slapped his hand upon the place with the intention of crushing the assailant, but the little nimble insect escaped between his fingers and repeated its attacks. Every time he struck at it, he gave himself a smart blow upon the leg, but missed his aim. At this he became enraged, and in the height of his peevish and impatient humor, he earnestly prayed to Hercules, beseeching him with his mighty power to stretch forth his arm against a pernicious insect by which he was so miserably tormented. Application He who suffers his mind to be ruffled by every little inconvenience subjects himself to perpetual uneasiness and disquiet. There is no accident, however trivial, but is capable of disconcerting him, and he becomes absurdly miserable on the most foolish occasion. His good humor is soured in an instant, and he is rendered uncomfortable to himself and odious or ridiculous to all about him. He prays with earnestness to the Supreme Being to aid him in all his paltry selfish schemes or to gratify vanities, for which, as a rational being, he ought to blush and be ashamed. The imaginary distresses, which his unfortunate disposition heightens into severe calamities, are matter of diversion to those who are disposed to sneer at him, and when his pettish humor makes him rave like a madman and curse his fate at the dropping of a hat or the blunder of a servant, even his friends must view his behavior with a mixed emotion of pity and contempt. End of section 96「Section 97 of Fables by Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Marie. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Wolf and the Lamb. One hot, sultry day, a wolf and a lamb happened to come just at the same time to quench their thirst in the stream of a brook that fell tumbling down the side of a rocky mountain. The wolf stood upon the higher ground, and the lamb at some distance below him. However, the wolf, having a mind to pick a quarrel with the lamb, asked him what he meant by disturbing the water, and making it so muddy that he could not drink, and at the same time demanded satisfaction. The lamb, frightened at this threatening charge, told him, in a tone as mild as possible, that with humble submission he could not conceive how that could be, since the water which he drank ran down from the wolf to him, and therefore could not be disturbed so far up the stream. Be that as it may, replies the wolf, you are a rascal, and I have been told that you used ill language concerning me behind my back about half a year ago. Upon my word, says the lamb, the time you mentioned was before I was born. The wolf, finding it to no purpose to argue any longer against truth, fell into a great passion, snarling and foaming at the mouth, as if he had been mad, and drawing nearer to the lamb, Sirrah, says he, if it were not you, it was your father, 
and that is the same. So he seized the poor, innocent, helpless thing, tore it to pieces, and made a meal of it. Application Whene'er oppression rules, fell wolves devour, and the worst crimes are want of strength and power. They who do not feel the sentiments of humanity will seldom listen to the voice of reason, and when cruelty and injustice are armed with power and determined on oppression, the strongest pleas of innocence are preferred in vain, and nothing is more easy than finding pretenses to criminate the unsuspecting victims of tyranny. How many of the degenerate, corrupt, and arbitrary governments with which the civilized world has been disfigured have exercised their vengeance upon the honest and virtuous, who have dared in bad times to speak the truth, and how many men in private life are to be met with, whose wolfish dispositions and envious and rapacious tempers cannot bear to see honest industry rear its head. End of section 97、section、98、of Fables of Aesop and Others This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Atonesimento. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Mice in Council. The mice called the General Council, and after the doors were locked, entered into a free consultation about ways and means how to render themselves more secure from the danger of the cat. Many schemes were proposed, and much debate took place upon the matter. At last, a young mouse, in a fine, flawed speech, broached an expedient which he contended was the only one to put them entirely out of the power of the enemy, and this was that the cat should wear a bell about her neck, which, upon the least motion, would give the alarm and be a signal for them. To retire into their holes. This speech was received with great applause, and it was even proposed by some that the mouse who had made it should have the thanks of the assembly. Upon which an old mouse, who had sat silent hitherto, gravely observed that the contrivance was admirable, and the author of it, without doubt, very ingenious. But he thought it would not be so proper to vote him thanks till he should further inform them how the bell was to be fastened about the cat's neck and who would undertake the task. Application It is very easy for visionary projectors to devise schemes and to discant on their utility, which, after all, are found to be so impracticable or so difficult that no man of solid judgment. Can be prevailed upon to attempt putting them into execution. In all matters where the good of the community is at stake, new projects should be carefully examined in all their bearings, that the ruinous consequences which might follow them may be avoided. All business of this import ought to be left to the decision of such men only as are distinguished for their good sense, probity, honor, and patriotism. When these have examined them in all their different bearings, we may place confidence in their labors and adopt their plans. But the fable teaches us 
not to listen to those rash and ignorant politicians who are always foisting their schemes upon the public upon every occurrence of maladministration without looking beneath the surface or considering whether they be practical or otherwise end of section 98 Section number 99 of Fables of Aesop and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elaine Conway, England. Fables of Aesop and Others by Aesop. The Ape Chosen King on the death of the old lion without his leaving an heir the beasts assemble to choose another king of the forest in his stead the crown was tried on many a head but did not sit easy upon any one at length the ape putting it upon his own declared that it fitted him quite well and after shewing their many antic tricks he with a great deal of grimace and an affected air of wisdom offered himself to fill the high office the silly creatures being pleased with him at the moment instantly by a great majority proclaimed him king the fox quite vexed to see his fellow-subjects act so foolishly resolved to convince them of their sorry choice and knowing of a trap ready baited at no great distance he addressed himself to king ape and told him that he had discovered a treasure which being found on the waste belonged to his majesty the ape presently went to take possession of the prize but no sooner had he laid his paws upon the bait than he was caught fast in the trap in this situation between shame and anger he chattered out many bitter reproaches against the fox calling him rebel and traitor and threatening revenge to all which reynard gravely replied that this was nothing but a beginning of what he would meet within the high station his vanity had prompted him to aspire to as it was only one of the many traps that would be laid for him and in which he would be caught but he hoped this one might be a treasure to him if it operated as a caution and served to put him in mind of the false estimate he had put upon his abilities in supposing that with his inexperienced empty pate he would manage the weighty affairs of state he then with a laugh left him to be relieved from his peril by one or other of his foolish loving subjects application when apes are in power foxes will never be wanting to play upon them men shew their folly rashness and want of consideration when they elect rulers without the qualifications of integrity and abilities to recommend them to the office and the higher it is the more important it is to the interests of the community that it should be properly filled the fable also shews the weakness of those who through self-conceit aspire to any high station without the requisites to befit them for it and the want of which exposes authority to scorn 
End of section 99「As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.